Hello, welcome to Capturing Christianity. My name is Cameron Bertuzzi, and tonight I'm hosting a dialogue. This is not a debate. It's a dialogue between Dr. Shabir Ali and Dr. Andrew Loke. This is the first time they're in conversation, and I'm so happy that it's happening here at Capturing Christianity. Tonight we're talking about, well, the, t- the topic is, did Jesus rise from the dead? If you don't know, Dr. Shabir Ali is Muslim, Dr. Andrew Loke is Christian, and if you'd like to learn more about my guest, check the description of this video. I don't want to take a whole lot of time at the very beginning of this video for these long-winded introductions. I want to get right into the material, right into the, to the dialogue, and so that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to say anything else other than maybe subscribe to the channel if you're interested in this kind of thing. Do that. Subscribe to the channel. But with that, let's just go ahead and jump right into the dialogue. I think it's... What do you think? Should we start with Andrew or Shabir? This is super informal. Like I said, this is not a debate. We're not like... We have some time that we want to set aside for everyone or for each person to talk for, you know, five, ten minutes each. But we don't have like this... It's not a formal structure. Andrew, what do you think? Would you like to go first? Oh, sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. Hi. Uh, hi, Cameron. Hi, Shabir. Good to see both of you. And yeah, it is uh, especially a great honor to be discussing this uh, with Shabir Ali today and you know, who is widely known as uh, one of the top uh, Muslim uh, apologists in the world. So I'm looking forward uh, to our discussion and hopefully that you know, it'll be a fruitful time of learning for both of us and also for the audience. Yeah, I told Shabir right before we went live, I was like, "It's I've seen all of his debates with Dr. Craig, and I feel like I'm talking to a, a celebrity here. Shabir, it's great to have you on. <laughs> and, and it's good to be on as well. Thank you, Cameron, for inviting me. Thank you, Andrew, for agreeing to have this dialogue with me. I uh, see from your many books that you are quite a scholarly individual, and uh, it's, it's my honor to be in the same platform with you and, and to learn from you, dialoguing with you. So as I mentioned, if you'd like to learn more about my two guests, then check the link. Or not, it's not a link, but check the description. I've written out a whole thing, uh, or, or I've taken uh, blurbs. Is that the right term? I think it is. Blurbs. I've mm-hmm. got their blurbs written in the description of this video if you'd like to learn more about them. But Andrew, go ahead and start. You've got, uh, I think, what what did we agree on? About 10 minutes or so to just kind of lay out your case, and then we're going to pass it back over to Shabir, and we're going to just have a, a great back and forth. Hopefully... I did want to mention this. Hopefully we can get to some Q&A toward the end of this video. We've got about two hours set aside for this dialogue. If we can, we're going to get to some Q&A toward the end. Uh, so if you'd like to send a question as a super chat, I may be able to pop it in or or uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. This is going to be kind of, as I said, very, very informal. We're just going to go with the flow tonight. So uh, and, and thank you guys for joining us. And then Andrew, take it away. Yeah. Can you see my screen? PowerPoint slide? Yes. I can, and let me go ahead and see if I can switch my screen to pull it up here. All right, there we go. Yeah, now I can see it as well. Okay, uh, good. All right, so uh, let me start with a 15 minutes uh, presentation on the case for Jesus' resurrection. Uh, so today our discussion topic is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Now, let me begin with the historical evidence and uh, in the words of Gary Habermas, uh, who is a well-known scholar uh, in this area, he said that uh, despite disagreements about various aspects of the New Testament, there is widespread consensus among historians that, uh, firstly, Jesus died due to Roman crucifixion in the first century. Uh, secondly, very soon afterwards, a number of people had experiences that they believe were appearances of the risen Jesus. And thirdly, the body of Jesus was missing. 
So um, the key is how to explain uh, these three uh, well-established historical facts. Now, um, let me, uh, so I'm going to say uh, very briefly about each of these, uh, and then I will elaborate uh, later on right, as we go along. But uh, here, I'm just presenting an outline right, of the case for Jesus' resurrection. So uh, let me say something very briefly first about Jesus' death due to Roman crucifixion in AD 30. This is a historical fact testified by early Christian and non-Christian sources. And I'll, I'll elaborate on this later on. Um, but now I just want to move on and quickly uh, and, and, and uh, talk about you know, the key question is what happened after that. Now, an important um, piece of data is uh, uh, the, the information that is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 11. And this was written very early. Um, this was Paul's letter uh, written around 1855. And but Paul was citing a, a, a tradition that uh, came earlier before that. So, uh, so this is uh, you know, before 1855, right? The content of this is before 1855 and is within 25 years uh, after Jesus' crucifixion, uh, where many eyewitnesses of Jesus were still alive to verify um, what was contained in in this uh, in this passage. And so Paul says, "For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried." And then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Kephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. now that is, during Paul's time of writing, many of these um, eyewitnesses are still alive, but some have uh, fallen asleep, um, some have died. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And then, he goes, and then Paul goes on to talk about the, uh, Jesus appearing to himself. And then he ends by saying, whether is it I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So this is a common message that um, the earliest Christians were preaching. Now, so what are the possible naturalistic explanations right, for, for this data? Now, how do we explain this data? Now, there are only a few possible explanations, as I explained uh, in my book, Investigating the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and this book is uh, published by Rodesh and it's, uh, available, uh, it's open access, it's available for download, uh, free download on my website. So. Um, you encourage to check it out yourself. And so in my book, I explained that there are only a few possible explanations for, for this. The first is that you know, either there were no group of people who claimed that they saw the resurrected Jesus, you know, that you know, this was Paul was citing a legend, or they were, right? So either there were no groups of people you know, who claimed, who actually claimed to have seen Jesus, or there were people, a uh, group of people who claimed to have seen the resurrected Jesus. And if there were uh, these people, then either they didn't see anything, you know, it could be, and, and so I call this a no experience hypothesis. You no, know, they, they didn't see anything, they, they made it up, you know, they, they claimed that they saw something, but actually they didn't see anything, or they did see something. And if they did see something, then either their experiences were caused intramentally, you know, something like a hallucination or hysteria or whatever, you know, it's just caused by something inside their mind. Or it was caused by something outside their mind, right? It was a real person that they saw. And it was a, and hey, if Andrew, it was a real person before. Yeah, uh, yes. So, sorry to cut you off. It looks like we're not progressing in, in the slides. And you sent me the slides oh. earlier, and it looks like you, you have some other, yeah, it looks like the things that you're saying correspond to slides, but I'm not seeing them progress. Uh, Shabir, are oh. you having the same issue? Uh, it looks like yeah, yeah. Um, Cameron, uh, it looks like you need to enable editing so that you can control the slides it looks like you've stopped sharing though unfortunately andrew oh, okay okay i'm oh, sorry let me uh let me share again all right um can you see now 
Uh, here it is. Let's see if we can get it back on the screen. Okay. It's there now. Yeah, uh, sorry about the technical yeah, difficulties. Yeah, somebody's yeah. got to click enable editing at the top. Andrew, maybe you need to do that. I think that's Andrew. Uh, mm -hmm. Hit enable editing at the top there. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. No, okay. No. Now it went away. Now we don't see it. Nope. Hmm? Um, Sometimes this stuff happens. So I've actually downloaded them, and I can pull them up on, on my side if that helps. Okay. Okay. Uh, let me try, try again. I, I um Okay. Okay, can you see it? There it is. Yeah, let me just pull it in here. Okay. All right, now it looks like it's gonna progress. Let's try it. Let's try it one more time. Okay, can you see now? Yes. I see yes, we're, what we're are the possible naturalistic. Progress to the next slide. Let's make sure it's working. All right. Do you see uh, one point after one point coming up? One of no, we only see the six, the first six points. The last one being Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, okay. So, so there's actually no progression on the points. But the, okay. So I'm now switching to the next slide. Can you see it? Nope. It's still on the same no, slide. It's remain unchanged. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I, okay. I just wanted to say to the audience, I know we're, we're trying to sort of troubleshoot live here, but I want to let them know we're going to work on this. And then also uh, in the post, in, in after this video is done, I will be able to go back and edit out some of these uh, these technical issues that are happening here. So okay, in that what case, I'm gonna, Kevin, can you share? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to actually, I'll share the slides. They'll just, they won't progress in the way that I'm assuming you're uh, hoping that they will. But let me go ahead and uh, I'm going to use try to use the same screen and get it get it working here. Here we go. Let's see if I can pull it up. Yeah, these are all very strange because we actually tested out before. Ken, I don't know why. It, hmm. We did. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Okay, so yeah. here we go. Let's see if we can make this work. All right, there we go. I should be able to. Okay, so these are the three historical facts that I mentioned. Yeah. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's go ahead and. Uh, yeah, yeah, next one. Yeah, yeah, next. Sorry, I'm I'm just getting everything set up so that everyone can see all the content. There we go. All right. Uh, okay. you're, are you through with this one? Ready to go to the next one? Uh, yes. Yes, I I I was here, just now. So right. let me continue. Yeah, and just let me know when you'd like to progress to the next slide. Okay, sure. So uh, I, so I explained that uh. There are, there are only a few uh, possible naturalistic explanations. Uh, either you know, there were no groups of people, uh, Paul uh, was uh, uh, citing a legend, or there were this group of people, and if there were this group of people who claimed to have seen Jesus alive, then either they didn't see anything, you know, they make it up, you know, there was no experience, or they did see something. And if they did see something, uh, it, it, then either their experiences were caused by something inside their mind, instrumentally, or it was caused by something, a real person outside their mind whom they saw. And if it was a real person outside their mind, then either they misidentified another person as Jesus, or it wasn't, or, or, so, it maybe, so either it wasn't Jesus or it was Jesus right, whom was uh, seen bodily alive. And if it was Jesus, then um, either Jesus didn't die on the cross earlier, so perhaps he wasn't crucified. You no, know, they crucified the wrong guy, and Jesus escaped, and he came out again three days later and tell people, hey guys, I'm alive. Or, uh, or he was crucified, but uh, he didn't die. You know, he soon fainted on the cross, and uh, he woke up three days later, escaped the tomb, and told people, hey, guys, I'm alive. 
So either he did not die on the cross earlier or he did die on the cross earlier. Now, if he did die on the cross earlier, then the person uh, whom the disciples saw alive was the Jesus who was dead earlier and was seen alive again later. Uh, and so this means that Jesus resurrected. So if we analyze the case for Jesus, for Jesus resurrection logically, we find that you know, there are only these few possible explanations. And you know, the, the, and the alternative you know, to Jesus' resurrection, they, they are all uh, ridiculous, actually. Um, so I, I shall ex explain uh, why they are ridiculous uh, um, as we go along. So next slide, please. So could it be that, um, you know, uh, could it be a legend? Could it be that, you know, this, you know that there were no group of people um, who actually claimed to have seen Jesus' life? Now, this is ridiculous because, um, first of all, we need to know that you know, Paul was um, citing a common um, message that the other um, witnesses was preaching. He was saying, whether it was I or they, so we preach. And the letters of Paul indicate that Paul knew others whom he listed as eyewitnesses, right? So... Um, the letters of Paul indicate that Paul knew James, Paul knew Peter, and other apostles um, whom he listed as uh, these eyewitnesses, uh, and that he has he had personally met them and talked with them. And more importantly, he knew that the Corinthians knew them too. Okay, so uh, you know, so they are talking about people whom both parties knew personally, and so they, they know that what uh, those other people were were talking were saying, you know, they, that they were, were claiming to have seen Jesus alive. And uh, as um, an, uh, another scholar, Christopher Bryan, he, uh, he pointed out, uh, some among the Corinthians were certainly familiar with the teachings of uh, Kephas, Peter. Evidently, they knew who James was and were aware of other apostles. And it's hardly likely that among them, uh, is hardly likely that none among them had ever heard any of them teach. In other words, the assertion of eyewitness testimony made both by Paul and by the apostolic formula was easily open to challenge unless, as must have been the case, he and the Corinthians knew perfectly well that he was correct. Okay, uh, next slide, please. So Paul was appealing to public knowledge. Uh, and in fact, similar appeals to public knowledge can be found in the writings of other ancient writers, such as Josephus and Cicero. Uh, so. So, you know, Paul, so Paul was writing uh, in, a, in a citing common knowledge style, which, uh, he, he, uh, which he, he knew that the, the audience, the Corinthians, uh, would know that you know, this is something true you know, that he's, he's talking about. And moreover, this tradition was also uh, independently attested in the narrative tradition uh, in the Gospels. Uh, so I'm, I'm referring in particular to the appearance to the 12 disciples, right? So appearance to the group. Uh, this is not only mentioned um, in uh, Paul, but also uh, in the Gospels, and so and and therefore, in the words of uh, uh, historian, historical critical scholars Thiessen and Merz, you know, they observe that the credibility of this tradition is enhanced because it is in part confirmed by the narrative tradition in the Gospels, which is independent, and because in the case of Paul, we have a personal testimony of an eyewitness who knew many of the other witnesses. And therefore, there is no doubt that uh, these appearances listed in 1 Corinthians 15, that these came from people who attest an overwhelming experience. So in conclusion, there were indeed uh, groups or groups of people who claimed to have seen Jesus alive shortly after he was crucified. Okay, next slide, please. Now, so... Um, could it be that you no, know, they didn't see anything, but they 
claim that they saw something. Now, uh, uh, this is a ridiculous hypothesis. Uh, why? Because firstly, we need, we need to note that uh, these earliest Christians, they were willing to face persecution for following a persecuted leader. I mean, their leader, Jesus, was uh, was crucified himself, right? So in, under that context, in that context, right, if you if somebody wants to claim that you know, he's a follower of Jesus and he was proclaiming Jesus resurrected, then uh, obviously he'll be prepared, right, to have to face persecution too. And it is also important to note that their faith was based on the belief that Jesus resurrected. This is foundational to their faith in Jesus. And this belief that Jesus resurrected was based on what they saw. Okay, so what they uh, experienced is foundational right, to their belief in Jesus' resurrection. Now, another consideration to note is that no groups of people will be willing to sacrifice everything for what they know is false and be sent to hell by God for being false witnesses. Now, we know that many people will be willing to die for what they believe is true, even though that may not be true, right? Uh, however, we, we won't find groups of people who will be willing to give up everything for what they know is false. <laughs> uh, now, if the disciples didn't see anything, then they know that there's no foundation right, to their belief that Jesus resurrected and no, no foundation in, in their... Uh, uh, and, and therefore, um, they would know that no, this, this is false. And if that were the case, no, they wouldn't have been willing right, to... Um, be persecuted right, for their faith in Jesus, and so the disciples, the disciples must. So these uh, people must have seen something which convinced them that Jesus was bodily resurrected. Okay, so they must have experienced something. Next slide, please. Now, could it be that their experiences was caused intramentally? Now, again, uh, this is very ridiculous because it is unreasonable to think that a group of people could be seeing the, the, the same thing together at the same time when there is, in fact, nothing there outside their mind corresponding to their experience. Now, it will be like a group of students right, entering the classroom and thinking that you know, their teacher was giving them a lecture when, in fact, no, there's nobody there. Right? There's no teacher there, nothing there. Now, of course, no, that, that is ridiculous. And uh, now, even if... Uh, uh, Collective hallucination is is uh, is is possible. Even even if it is possible, it's going to be very unlikely. You know, it's going to be very rare. But in the case of uh, Jesus, uh, in, but in this case, we have appearance to not only one group but you know, three at least three different groups of people within a short period of time. So that makes it uh, even more ridiculous, right, to believe that all these experiences was was caused uh, uh, intra Next slide, please. And moreover. Psychological studies have shown that people who had individual hallucinations, um, now they are able to achieve insight that their experience is hallucinatory after the experience ended. Um, so most most people are, are aware, you know, if they had a hallucination, when, when, when they are having a hallucination, it may seem very real to them, but after the experience ended, you know, many of them are aware that you no, know, actually uh, what they had is just a hallucination. You know, it's just like a dream, right? After When you have a dream, it may, it may seem very real to you, but after the dream is over, right, you are... Um, most people are able to tell that it was a dream, uh, especially if they compare their experience with others, right? So, for example, if you dream that uh, you were with your wife yesterday in Hawaii, and then you wake up next morning and you ask your wife, uh, and you tell your wife, honey, you were in Hawaii last night, and your wife will tell you that you are dreaming, right? So people will be, uh, easily realize that uh, it, it was just something intramental. And, and therefore, um, the disciples will have easily known that their experience were, it was caused intramentally rather than believing that they had actually seen Jesus uh, resurrected body, right? If it was uh, really just an intramental experience. Uh, so next, next slide, please. 
So the disciples must have seen something, and this something must have been somebody outside their mind. Now, could it be that they mistook, all of them mistook another person for Jesus? Now, again, uh, this is ridiculous because the, the disciples uh, knew Jesus um, well, and James, his brother, definitely knew him. So they had spent a few years with him and therefore were familiar with his speech and behavior. So it is implausible that all these people could have mistook another person for Jesus in a variety of circumstances. Next slide, please. Now, could it be that um, no, they crucified the wrong guy? Now, this is even more ridiculous because the crucifixion was a public event and Jesus was a public figure. So it is unlikely that all the enemies of Jesus, all the disciples and all the members of the public all failed to recognize that it was not Jesus who was crucified. Uh, so uh, no historian uh, accept this hypothesis. Next slide, please. Now, finally, could it be that um, Jesus was crucified, but he, you know, he didn't die on the cross? Now, uh, again, this is unreasonable for the following two reasons. The first is that the crucifixion was the extreme penalty right, in the ancient world. You know, it is the um, most brutal way of killing someone, ex executing someone uh, in the ancient Roman Empire. And the Romans were expert killers. You know, they were brutal and they, they, they made sure the victim died. So it is unlike, unreasonable to think that Jesus could have survived uh, that naturalistically. Now, I'll elaborate more on this uh, later on. Um, but at this point in time, I just want to say that even if Jesus survived, he would have been severely wounded, half dead. So uh, half dead Jesus, still suffering from the severe wounds, would not have been able to persuade the disciples that he was the reason not of life. I mean, we can imagine a Jesus right, still having pain here and there, you know, bleeding all over the place and tell other, other people, hey guys, you know, I'm the reason a lot of life. You know, these disciples will have laughed at that. You know, they, will, they will say, oh, this guy, you know, we need to resuscitate him. We need to save him. Right? They, they wouldn't believe that he's the savior of all mankind. Uh, let alone you know, the resurrected law of life. So this hypothesis does not explain how is it that the earliest Christians came to the widespread agreement that Jesus was bodily resurrected and that he was the law of life. And therefore, this hypothesis failed. So uh, in conclusion, next slide, please. The historical evidence indicate that there were groups of people in the first century, who mid-first century, who claimed that they had seen Jesus alive after his crucifixion. They truly saw something, and what they saw was not caused instrumentally, but uh, it was a real person whom they saw. And this real person was not anyone else, but the same Jesus who died on the cross, and therefore Jesus resurrected. So uh, I'll be interested uh, to uh, find out uh, what will, it will be Shabir's response right, to um, um, all this, uh, the, the case for Jesus' resurrection, and what alternative hypothesis uh, does he have for explaining how the earliest Christians came to the widespread agreement that Jesus was bodily resurrected. So thank you. With that, let's go ahead and turn it uh, over to Shabir. So Shabir, would you like to share some slides as well here? Yes, yes, I'll do that. Um, All right, while you're getting me... that going, just okay. go ahead. Yep, just get All it right, started. Let me see. Just start sharing let me your see screen. If I remember the sequence here. So we'll share see if screen, we can make... <laughs> just like Andrew taught me, okay. So I'll share this one. Um, okay, I see it there? on mine. Okay. Um, I can still see Andrew's screen, which is great because I, I love to see a screen, uh, but I won't be able to present from his screen. So, so you're seeing mine, but, but I don't see mine. I, I, I see a whole... I see a whole bunch of screens like overlaid with each other. Oh, you know what? Um, maybe I should start the slideshow. Yeah, I, I, and then... I, can, I can see it, no? Okay. Can yes. you see my, my slideshow? Where yes. it says, did Jesus rise from the dead? Yep, it's looking yes. perfect. 
Okay, okay, fantastic. Okay, good. So, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, friends, uh, brothers and sisters in faith, uh, I'm so delighted to be uh, in this platform with you all tonight and uh, delighted to be uh, sharing my thoughts with uh, Andrew uh, Loke. Professor Loke is uh, a scholar and a gentleman, and uh, it is my honor to be here and discuss these issues with him and to learn from him. Uh, so, I, this is an old slide that I haven't presented for a long time, and I hope I actually remember the contents, so I'll go through it, and uh, hopefully I'll finish it in 15 minutes, uh, and, and then we'll, we'll hear from, uh, from Andrew. Uh, his responses. So I present here a book uh, entitled The Muslim Jesus by Tarif Khalidi. And uh, what is important for me in this book for the moment is his statement on page 12 saying, in denying the crucifixion, the Quran is in fact denying that the Jews killed him. Uh, so uh, from a Muslim point of view, the only thing that uh, I, I feel that I need to um, deny is that uh, the enemies of Jesus uh, succeeded in killing him uh, if we take this interpretation. But I would like to um, just alert you to the fact that uh, nowadays uh, there are many different interpretations of the Quran being offered. In Surah 4 verse 157, the Quran says, They killed him not, nor did they crucify him, but so it was made to appear to them. So how it was made to appear to them, this is not entirely clear from the Quran and and, uh, a number of theories might be advanced. The classical Muslim commentators on the Quran maintained that Jesus was not even put on the cross, but I feel uh, that uh, it is not necessary to uh, maintain that view with the classical commentators. If the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had given that as the exegesis of the verse, then Muslims would have felt more compelled to go by that uh, explanation, uh, but uh, nothing like that is reported from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And so it looks like uh, we have some freedom and leverage in the way that we interpret uh, the verse. Some modern academic scholars look at the Quran and they say, well, wait a minute, the Quran is not actually denying uh, the crucifixion event. And um, it might even be that the Quran is saying uh, that uh, the uh, enemies did not get the upper hand over Jesus. It is God who was taking Jesus in his own good time and in his own way, according to his uh, wisdom. Uh, now, what is important for uh, Muslims, however, is the conclusion uh, that is given in Surah 4, verse 158, where it says, But God raised him to himself, and God is mighty wise. And so, uh, they're saying, uh, the, 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 the boast of the enemies of Jesus is that we killed the Messiah, Jesus, uh, whereas the Quran is responding to their boast and saying, no, they didn't kill him, they didn't crucify him. And it may be that there is some repetition here that the Quran is, is uh, emphasizing that they didn't kill him. And in case they were thinking, but wait a minute, didn't we crucify him? Uh, the answer from the Quran is no, you didn't even crucify him. I would take crucifixion then to mean that uh, they did not kill him by this uh, method of execution. Uh, now, I want to turn my attention to uh, the Gospels and see if in the Gospels uh, there, there is uh, something that may lend some um, commonality or lend itself to some commonality with uh, the uh, Quranic statement, they killed him not, nor did they crucify him. But what we need to be aware of is that there is an evolution in, in the uh, Christian texts uh, and beliefs regarding the um, 
the crucifixion event. I'd like to uh, draw your attention to a book entitled The Evolution, Evolution of the Word uh, by Marcus Borg, who is a known uh, New Testament uh, scholar, the late uh, uh, Dr. Borg. Now, uh, as part of that uh, evolution, I'd like to point out that there are uh, four Gospels, as everyone knows, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John, four Gospels in the Bible. Uh, of these, uh, uh, three are said to be synoptic Gospels. They can be seen together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, and the other one is the different Gospel, the Gospel according to John. What is interesting to notice is that as we go from Mark to John, we see that the story evolves. So. We, we notice that uh, in Mark chapter 16, uh, there is the story about the women who went to the tomb on the Sunday morning. Now, there they met a young man, according to Mark. Now, he may or may not be an angel, uh, but he's a young man in white clothing. Uh, we see in Matthew that he's actually an angel. And then in Luke, there are two angels. So we can see that there is a slight evolution in the story here. But that's not my main point. That is just something that is easy for anyone to check because you can see that Mark chapter 16 lines up with Matthew chapter 27, with chapter 28 rather, uh, Matthew chapter 28 and uh, Luke chapter 24. And you can almost trace them line by line. You can see verse by verse uh, that the uh, narratives are running neck, neck and neck. Uh, but when you compare the wording, you see that there is uh, this interesting difference. That there's an evolution and development in the story. So in Mark, you have a young man, Matthew, an angel, Luke, two angels. Now, uh, going more into detail, uh, Mark's gospel says that trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's how the earliest uh, uh, and, and most reliable manuscripts of Mark ends. Uh, that's how they end, um, with the women saying nothing to anyone. But we see that this ending was not satisfactory either to Matthew or Luke, and each one went about in their own way uh, to uh, improve upon this narrative. So Matthew has, so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. That's exactly what we would expect them to do if we were dealing uh, with the discovery of the empty tomb, in fact, and the angels explaining uh, the reason for the empty tomb. So comparing Mark and Matthew again side by side, you can see they're running neck and neck. It's both verse 8. And uh, Mark says they, they said nothing to anyone. Matthew says they ran uh, to go tell the disciples. Now, Luke improved this in his own way. Uh, Luke uh, is verse 9 in chapter 24. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. So that's how uh, Christians would expect that the story would continue. Uh, because uh, to say that they fled from the tomb in fear, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid, end of story. That's quite unsatisfactory from a Christian point of view. And we can see that the story is developing as, uh, as we go. And uh, comparing back with Mark, you can see in Mark, they said nothing to anyone. In Luke, they fled with uh, uh, not, not only, well, Luke doesn't even say that they fled. They just returned from the tomb telling this to uh, the 11 and to all of the others. So Mark, they told no one. Matthew, they told the disciples. Uh, Luke, they told the disciples and all the others. So we see that not only uh, are the number of people who are privy to this information uh, suddenly increasing uh, in this narrative, but, but that's not my most important point. My most important point here is that as we uh, go to the resurrection narratives, 
we see that uh, as we go from Mark to Matthew and Luke and to John, uh, the number of narratives increase. So there are more occasions when Jesus appears to his disciples. Uh, he then, um, of course, in Mark, there is no such men there is no description of an appearance. There is only a promise of one. Uh, but uh, in uh, in in Matthew, Luke, and John, uh, the descriptions start to multiply. In John, the last of them, we have more descriptions, more narratives, more occasions, more people uh, are able to see Jesus. Okay, so now we see that Mark is a source for Matthew and Luke. And though uh, Mark is the source, Matthew and Luke have uh, improved upon the narratives. If we trace this on the timeline, we'll see that about 30 CE, Jesus ascended. By 65 CE, approximately, Mark is written. And then by 85 CE, Matthew and Luke are written. So as we go from uh, over the decades, we see that by the time we get to John, by 100 CE, uh, the story has improved uh, vastly. Uh, now, if we uh, compare just Mark and, and John, we will see a vast difference uh, in the development of this story, uh, the way it goes from Mark to John. So we have to factor in this development and uh, trace our way back in order to get to the original story uh, that was uh, known by the earliest uh, Christians. Now, uh, somewhere in between uh, the, the ascension of Jesus and uh, the writing of Mark, we have the writings of Paul uh, from between 650 CE to about 64 CE. And uh, uh, we, we have to uh, factor in also uh, the uh, Q gospel, which uh, was about from the same time as Paul, uh, but uh, giving a different picture of what happened. Uh, we have this book entitled uh, The Postmortem Vindication of Jesus and the Saying Go Sayings Gospel Q by Daniel Smith. Now, Daniel Smith uh, uh, shows that, as, as is known elsewhere, uh, that Q is a source also for Matthew and Luke. So Matthew and Luke copied not only from Mark, but also from Q. Now, trying to uh, retrace what was the Q Gospels view on the death of Jesus, we see that very little is mentioned about the death of Jesus in Q and nothing about his uh, resurrection. And uh, uh, Daniel Smith uh, traces back uh, Q uh, to, uh, to, to see what, what was the meaning of uh, uh, Q13, uh, where uh, Jesus uh, speaks about not being seen, and then he will be seen again. So Daniel Smith argues that this is assumption language. This means that Jesus was assumed into heaven, and uh, not it's not a resurrection view. Uh, resurrection would imply uh, coming back from the dead, meeting with his disciples, and then eventually ascending into heaven. But with uh, Q, the idea seems to be of an assumption. Uh, of Jesus into heaven. Now, time does not uh, permit me to go into great detail, uh, but hopefully in uh, response to Andrew's probing questions, I'll be able to elaborate. Now, prior to Mark, there is what scholars uh, uh, posit to be a pre-Markan passion narrative. And in that pre-Markan passion narrative, there wasn't even a, a promise that Jesus will appear. So, the scholars think that that comes from Mark himself. Now, what about the empty tomb? That too, some scholars think, is uh, creditable uh, to Mark himself and then copied by the later uh, narratives. So in tracing all of this back uh, to uh, the origins, we see that uh, th there is much more uh, to uh, investigate rather than to just take the surface uh, stories. Cameron, how much more time uh, do I have? I think we were planning for 15 minutes openings each, and um, I, I think, I'm not sure how much. 
I believe we went a little bit long with Andrew. And th- again, this is super informal. So it just, I would say, take your time. Um, okay, let me just finish it, it this then and then, sure. Okay. All right. Uh, so in, in fact, instead of going uh, further into my, my own slides, I know Andrew wanted me to respond uh, to some of the things that he presented. So it, I think, let me do that. So Andrew uh, is, is saying, well, you know, is it possible that Jesus was not dead? And it's unreasonable to think he wasn't dead because crucifixion uh, was such a, a honed art among the Romans. But uh, notice that uh, in, um, in the Gospels themselves, there, there are narratives indicating that Pilate was not uh, willing to crucify Jesus. Now, historians don't take this to be historical. They think that Pilate ruled with brutal force and he wouldn't uh, bat an eye in, in the crucifying uh, Jews at the time. But if we take the Gospels uh, seriously, uh, then uh, there is a question about whether Jesus actually died, especially in light of the fact that he uh, is known to have, uh, according to the Gospels, uh, to be eating uh, dinner with his disciples later on. And everyone knows that a person must be presumed to have died sometime after the last time he was seen alive. Uh, so uh, there is a question there. As for the possibility of group hallucination, I have a document here, which I'm sure that Andrew is familiar with because he referred to it uh, in his uh, book, uh, by Jake O'Connell, in which he argues that group hallucinations uh, are possible. But what is more interesting to know is that these narratives in in Matthew, Luke, and, and John are widely regarded by scholars now to be later inventions. They're not the original story. Uh, Raymond Brown, trying to make sense of all of these diverse narratives, came to the conclusion that Jesus must have appeared to his disciples on one occasion, and that gave rise to all of these different uh, and and wildly different narratives. Uh, And and moreover, uh, Raymond Brown says that 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 appearance of Jesus must not have been a kind of physical touch and and feel type of uh, uh, appearance, but it must have been a a sort of uh, spiritual appearance. Um, that uh, the disciples uh, experience. And uh, as for the disciples uh, being willing to face persecution, uh, I I think this is a toned-down argument because apologists used to say the disciples died for what they believe. And then Sean McDowell uh, showed that uh, in in his uh, uh, PhD dissertation that we have very little information about the majority of the disciples, about where they went and how eventually they died. And uh, we can only say that uh, James, uh, son of Zebedee, uh, died, and and Peter died by by um, by crucifixion. Some say with uh, you know being nailed upside down. Um, and then one or two other disciples, uh, there is a possibility or a good chance that they died as martyrs, but the vast majority of them, we just do not know. So saying now that they were willing to face persecution, Andrew, I feel that this one is not only a toned down um, claim, but it is also um, a, a presumptive claim because we, we can hardly know what's inside the minds of, uh, of the disciples. Uh, now, is there, do the Gospels independently attest to the appearance of the Twelve? Well, not really, because the Gospels are written after Paul's writing, and uh, it is possible that they're just tr- trying to lend some credence to Paul's writing, or they're stimulated by Paul's writing uh, to imagine that there is there was such an appearance. And you can see that the various Gospel writers uh, imagine the appearances in different ways, in different contexts. Uh, Luke's Gospel has it that Jesus is appearing in Jerusalem, uh, but uh, Mark and Luke envision, uh, Mark and, and Matthew rather, Mark envisions that the 
uh, res resurrection appearance will be in Galilee. And uh, Matthew has the actual narrative that the appearance was in Galilee. And notice what Luke has done to the statement of the angels. The angels told the women in Matthew and Mark to go tell the disciples to go to Galilee because that's where they will see him. Uh, but in Luke's gospel, the angel does not say that because in, in, in Luke's gospel, rather, uh, the command from Jesus is stay uh, in the city. And uh, it is in the city in Jerusalem and, and its environs that Jesus appears. So the very statement of the angels have been changed, has, has been changed. And that shows uh, the nature of the gospels and how reliable we can consider them to be. Uh, as for 1 Corinthians' appeal to public knowledge, uh, notice that uh, Paul is saying that he had delivered this information to them previously, and uh, yet it seems that some years later there are some people in Corinth who do not believe in the resurrection, and, uh, and Paul has to uh, then uh, invite them to the belief one more time and try to emphasize that belief. But in trying to emphasize that belief, Paul does not seem to have more information than he is mentioning there. Otherwise, like, most likely he would mention the information. Like, for example, not only would he say that Jesus appeared to the disciples, but he would give us the actual stories. Not only would he say that Jesus was buried, but he would actually tell us about the uh, amazing discovery uh, of the empty tomb. Um, but he, he says none of this, uh, and, and that uh, is an indication to modern scholars that the stories in the Gospels are, are later developments, uh, uh, starting with uh, the early proclamation that is made in, in Paul's narrative. Uh, so it, it's hardly public knowledge by this time. It may be that some people know that some people are preaching this, but Paul could hardly point to the names of the individuals who are in Corinth and, and who uh, would be uh, preaching this. So uh, lastly, uh, the, the idea that uh, uh, Andrew uh, presents that, okay, it must be this, and, and if, if it's, it's either A or B, and if, if it's A, then it's either A1 and, or B1, uh, a, a, and, and then if it's A1, then it's either um, A2 and, and B3, uh, but if it's A2, and then we go from one uh, disjunction to another, it's always if this, if this, if this. So once you multiply those ifs, you realize that even if you're 70% sure about your conclusion between the A and B, and then uh, for the next step, you're 70% sure again, and the next step, you're 70% sure again. By the time you go through three steps, uh, you are only at a 34% at a chance uh, that your um, that that your conclusion is correct, and that's below uh, the 50% that that is just equally balanced between maybe and maybe not. So uh, there are too many ifs in that analysis, uh, and uh, uh, that that shows the whole thing to be uh, quite. Uh, Iffy. Uh, so I leave it at that uh, so that I can hear uh, the interesting uh, comments and responses from Andrew and, and we'll continue with this discussion. Well, thank you both for uh, presenting your opening statements and I uh, apologize to the audience again for the little rough start that we had there at the beginning, but everything seems to be working well now. We're going to enter into just a, a period of dialogue back and forth and remind me, Andrew, is it five minutes that we're going to give to each party responses for about five minutes from Andrew, five minutes from Shabir? No, I think uh, we, what we said was that after that it was a uh, ten minutes. Um, but that that's also flexible actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I allow a bit extra time to respond. Um, as well. Um, what I'd like so to do is, is is try to keep this a little bit more structured. So I'm gonna actually gonna set a timer for ten minutes, and then I if I need to to come in and just uh, a, a gentle reminder to pass it on to Shabir, then I'll do that. So 
Uh, whenever you're ready, Andrew, I'll go ahead and start my timer just on my end so that we can kind of keep things even here. Okay, um, yeah. All right, thank you so much, Xavier, for your uh, response. Now, you raised so many points. Um, I, I don't know whether I can respond to all of them in 10 minutes, uh, but if I don't, and uh, if I miss out some of your points, please remind me again, and I'll respond to them uh, in the next round, okay? Uh, so let me um, begin with the first thing you said, which is about the Quran. Now, I understand that uh, you know different scholars have different interpretations of the Quran. In fact, uh, last, last year at a conference, I even heard a scholar uh, called Abdullah Galadari. He even claimed that the Quran uh, is compatible with the um, idea that, you know, th that there is a trinity and incarnation right, in the Quran. And so the Christology in the Quran, uh, you know, also, also you know, he, he claimed that you also see the highest Christology or Christ of John, uh, Gospel of John in the Quran as well. Uh, so, um, you know, so I, I'm not going to debate the Quran today uh, because there are so many different interpretations. And also, I'm not going to discuss the Trinity and Incarnation today because uh, we have already so many points to discuss. Uh, and so I'll be very happy to discuss with you about the Trinity and Incarnation, right, on the next time. Maybe hopefully you have another opportunity to do so. But uh, today, I just want to keep our discussion focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? Now, the, then the, the next point you mentioned is about the evolution of the Gospels. Now, um, I, I find that argument very weak. Why? Because uh, firstly, you know, the argument claims that, uh, you know, uh, when we go from Mark and then uh, to, to John, right, uh, we see that you know, Mark has uh, no, no resurrection appearances. Uh, and then later on, it seems to have more and more people going, coming along. But this neglect the fact that, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 is even earlier than Mark, right? So, uh, so in, and, and moreover, we see the most number of witnesses actually in the earliest source, which is 1 Corinthians 15, right? 1 Corinthians 15 has the same claims that you know, there's appearance to 500 over, over people, right? And that's, this 500 over people is even more right, than what we see in John, the latest gospel. So we, we find the strongest evidence actually in the earliest source right? and not in the latest source. And so uh, that is one reason, right, why I, I find the uh, evolution argument um, weak. And because it, it, because it ignores the fact that the, gospel, the, the letters of Paul right, is the earliest source we have, uh, that is even earlier than Mark, as most scholars realize. And then the second point is that uh, you mentioned that you know, there's a young man and then um, in Mark and then become an uh, angel in Matthew and Luke. Now, I think that uh, that could easily be explained by you know, later gospel writers trying to clarify right, what, who, who the young man was. Because the earliest gospels uh, you know, um, may, may, have, may leave some details vague, and then the latest gospel right, can uh, clarify what, what is going on. So, um, and, and so that doesn't um, actually contradict the earlier gospels. And in any case, when Mark says that there's one angel, Mark did not say that there's only one, right? but uh, he's you know, putting the spotlight right, on the one who is speaking to the women. Right, but there could be other angels around. You no, know, there could be one more angel in the tomb, for example, one outside, one inside. You no, know, I mean, all these are possible, right? So the text doesn't exclude uh, all these possibilities, and so the you know, so and so therefore there's no contradictions, right? In the gospels, the later gospels only complement rather than contradict the earlier the earlier gospels, right? They uh, complement and clarify uh, what is found in the earlier gospels, and then um, and then. Um, Shabir point out that uh, well, Shabir uh, you know, says that well in, in Mark we the, the, we find that the the woman said nothing, uh, whereas in Matthew the, the woman told the disciples. Now again, uh, if you read the context, right, you'll find that uh, in Mark chapter sixteen verse seven, right, the angel told the woman to go and tell the disciples. 
And so verse eight, when it says says nothing, when so in verse eight, when it says that the woman say nothing, you know, it is uh, the, the the context says you know, because they were afraid, right? So what this means is that you no, know, they said nothing on the way back, right, uh, to the disciples because they were afraid of you know that other people may may may, may catch them, whatever. So it doesn't it doesn't mean that they say nothing at all to anyone, right? Uh, it, so it, you know, uh, you know, it, it only means that they said nothing on the way back. You no, know, but they were you know, obviously right. They must have told someone, and that's how other people got get to know the story. Now, uh, and then uh, in okay, so now what about uh, that? And then um, Shabir goes on to talk about the Q source, and you no, know, he claims that uh, well, the Q source is also a, an early source, but that there is little mention about Jesus' death, resurrection. Uh, in the Q source. However, uh, now we need to note that the Q source is not the only early source that the early Christian have, and it is not intended to be a comprehensive source that uh, record all, all that the earliest Christians believe. Right, the Q source is a saying source. No, it, it is only intended right to record the, the sayings of Jesus. It's not intended to record everything that Jesus was supposed to have uh, done. And therefore, it is not surprising that uh, you don't find uh, the, the death and resurrection mentioned very clearly uh, in, in uh, the, the, the Q source because it's not intended right, to cover every detail about Jesus' life. No, so we, so um, we need to understand that you know, there are multiple sources going on right, in the early Christian traditions, and they actually complement uh, one another. And it, it, so it, it is like, you know, if you, so it's like, you know, for example, I have written a number of books, right? So I have written a book on the Kalam cosmological arguments, and I have also written a book on uh uh the incarnation right of, of jesus now if you just read my book on the incarnation you may think that you no know, uh I, I don't believe in the kalam because it doesn't mention the kalam right in my book on the incarnation now of course that, that would be silly right because the, the book on the kalam is not intended to cover everything that i believe right and and therefore likewise you no know, it'll be uh, quite silly to think that uh just because the queue doesn't mention resurrection therefore you know there is another uh, there, there's other groups of people, right, uh, in the early century, uh, in the early, early Christians who, who don't believe the resurrection. I mean, that, that kind of inference will be a very bad inference. And, and in any case, the Q does not deny that, uh, does not deny Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. Now, he, he, just now Shabir mentioned that, uh, no, there, the, the Q has some statements that says that, no, not being seen, and then will be seen, Jesus not being seen for a while, and then will be seen later on. Well, um, I think that is perfectly co compatible right, with Jesus' uh, death and then resurrecting again and showing himself to the disciples. Now, by the way, the, and, and in any case, the not being seen uh, in the context is, uh, is referring to the passage where Jesus was saying, no, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why, why do you uh, keep persecuting the prophets? So Jesus was referring specifically to those people who rejected him and that they will not see him again until they say, blessed is the one who right, comes in the name of the Lord. So no, it is referring specifically to those people who reject him. That uh, after they crucify him, right, they, they will not see him again, and that is perfectly consistent with um, the, uh, the the description in the in the other parts of the New Testament, which says that you no know, Jesus appeared uh, to his disciples uh, later on, um, and and that and that the other people in in Jerusalem, right, they did not uh, get to uh, see the rest of Jesus, right. So so it is perfectly compatible with that, and therefore. Um, I, I, I don't think the objection based on Q is a, uh, is a good one. It doesn't, it, the objection doesn't prove anything to refute um, what I have uh, said in my first presentation. Now, and then Shabir goes on to talk about uh, Jesus' death, and he, he mentioned a few points. First is that he says that uh, Pilate, uh, not willing to crucify Jesus, right? he, he says that uh, this was uh, um, uh, unreliable historically, but actually other scholars have responded by saying that, well, that, uh, 
it is actually plausible because we know that uh, the governors, um, no, they, 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 they are. Uh, no, sometimes they can um, because they are, they are afraid that the, the people will complain against them, right? So it could be that under certain circumstances, they, they may have um, actually uh, uh, compromise and because you no, know, to, to, to just to please people, right? Uh, you know, just to avoid getting in trouble. Uh, so for for the sake of convenience, right? Just allow them to crucify Jesus. I mean, that is not implausible. Um, so and in fact, you no, know, they are. There are other early sources which shows that you no, know, they are eventually Pilate got into trouble because you no know, people you know, of, of some problem uh, at, at some of the province he, he governed, right? So, so it is uh, not implausible that uh, he actually um, uh, you know, um, surrendered to the will of the people uh, in that account. And as for the gospels, now Shabir uh, thinks that the the gospels details about death of Jesus uh, is. Is not clear now. I'm going to present um, a PowerPoint presentation later on about the the death of details in in, in the Gospels account, which which um, now uh, first of all we need to understand what does crucifixion means, right? So for for um, and and actually the, the Gospels already have enough details, right, for us uh, to know that actually it is plausible that Jesus died. Say for example, you know the the. Jesus wear a head crown of thorns and he was beaten on the head and that could have caused uh, scalp lacerations and you know, uh, doctors uh, realized that scalp lacerations can kill in a matter of a few hours because there could be very severe bleeding right from the scalp lacerations and um, and in, in addition right to the weeping that Jesus went through and the weeping right uh, can tear the flesh and even um, expose the intestines as Josephus record right so uh, it is plausible that, that Jesus died within a few hours I mean it, it, uh, so it depends on the severity of the beating and the 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 beating and as I said earlier on, the Romans make sure the guy died right in in crucifixion in the crucifixion. And then Shabir goes on to mention about uh, group hallucination and cite uh, J D uh, J O'Connor. Now I have actually interacted with him and he 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 has in fact uh, changed his mind actually. Uh, you know Jake uh, he, he he later on says that well maybe those sources that he claimed that group hallucination may not actually be group hallucination at all. And in fact, as I already argued earlier on, you know, based on uh, uh, um, our reasoning and based on scientific evidence, you know, it is unreasonable to think that a group of people could be seeing something there when there's actually nothing there. And moreover, even if uh, group hallucination is possible, it is very, going to be very rare. And But in here, we have appearance to three group of people at the same time. And in addition, right, I already also mentioned earlier on that people who have hallucination, are most, many of them are able to tell that it was a hallucination. And therefore, this hypothesis simply does not explain how to the earliest Christians came to the widespread agreement that Jesus was bodily resurrected. And then Shabir goes on to mention about um, spiritual resurrection. Now, uh, um, based on what Raymond Brown argues. Now, actually- um, hey, Andrew, we're, we're already past the 10 minute mark. Uh, it, it might be good to pass it over. I know it, it might be good to pass it over to Shabir to get his thoughts. And then you can uh, try to address what he says in the next section here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we'll turn it over um, and same yeah. thing. We'll uh, and, we'll do ten minutes for Shabir. Okay. Sure. Uh, hold on. Okay. So uh, thank you, Andrew, for engaging with those uh, points. Uh, Abdullah Galadari is uh, is a friend of mine, and uh, I, I I respect him and respect his views. But as you said, we're not discussing the the the. Um, um, the, the Trinity or the related subjects. We'll leave that for another time, and I'd be glad to have an engagement with you on that subject. Uh, so, as for the evolution of the Gospels, uh, Andrew, you 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 feel that uh, that that is a very weak argument, and uh, 
Uh, I have to say that actually this is uh, an argument that uh, is quite widely um, accepted by, by modern scholarship. Um, you know, those who are traditional and they're saying, okay, we have to uh, conserve and, and keep our belief, and they, they don't want to accept that there is this evolution. But as you can see, a whole book has been written about it uh, by the, the scholar that I, um, uh, that I showed you, Marcus Borg. And uh, uh, as for 1 Corinthians 15 being earlier than Mark, so we have two streams of evolution here. You can see an evolution uh, from Paul's uh, undisputed letters uh, to his, uh, uh, the, the other letters which are, are disputed, which probably come from some of his disciples and followers. Uh, so, so that's one line of evolution. But among the Gospels, you have a line of evolution here. Uh, which is somewhat independent, but also uh, slightly dependent on the on on. Uh, it's stimulated uh, in the first place by Paul's writing. Uh, Paul writes that there are all these appearances, and now the gospel writers are scrambling to find uh, the reports of these uh, appearances. And when people do not find genuine reports, uh, sometimes the community uh, imagines uh, an occasion. So they start by thinking, okay, so Paul said that there, were the, uh, there was the appearance of the twelve. When could that have been? Maybe it's when they were in the upper room. And eventually, the maybe it's when they were in the upper room, that becomes an actual narrative that they were in the upper room and that uh, Jesus appeared to them. Uh, so even though, yes, Paul is earlier and has uh, this whole complete list of appearances, uh, and still, you do not have in Paul the actual narratives that show that this was, in fact, uh, what happened. And uh, the gospel writers are developing the stories, and we can see in Mark there is no such account. Uh, there is only a promise, and that promise, too, probably was not in the pre-Markan uh, source. And uh, so we can see that there's a development from the pre-Markan to the Mark, and then to Matthew and Luke, and then finally uh, to John. As for the 500, this is an evolutionary dead end. Uh, Paul mentioned it, but nobody could find uh, a story to include to show us that uh, Jesus appeared to 500 people on one occasion. And that has left uh, biblical scholars scrambling in their own way to find an occasion. And some are thinking maybe it's the Pentecost uh, experience, uh, but, but some others say that, no, that's not an appearance of Jesus, and that's the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. That's a different sort of circumstance. So in the end, we don't have an occasion when Jesus appeared to 500 people all at once. So that has hit a sort of evolutionary dead end. No one picks it up. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament, though the New Testament is composed by several uh, different writers. Nobody else but Paul seems to know about this or is willing to vouch for it. And even Paul himself is not giving full credence to this because it basically his narrative takes the form of saying, I'm just telling you what somebody told me. Someone told me uh, that uh, Jesus appeared to 500 people all at once. I'm just telling you the way I, I received it. And he's not able to name any of the uh, surviving individuals who by this uh, to this time, uh, when Paul is writing, must have been more than 250. Uh, so uh, all of that is weak ground on which to build uh, a, a, a belief that Jesus actually resurrected from the dead. Now, as for the young man being clarified more in, in Matthew and uh, Luke, well, uh, you can say that they're clarifying, or perhaps, uh, you know, if one wanted to be critical, one might say that perhaps they're even improving uh, the story. And we can see occasions when they actually do improve the story. So M Matthew has it that when the women uh, left the tomb, 
they met Jesus before they could meet the disciples. And naturally, you would expect that after meeting Jesus and touching him, as Matthew says, uh, then they would have gone to tell the disciples, oh, we met Jesus and we touched him. But instead, John's gospel says that when Mary Magdalene uh, left the tomb, uh, she went telling the disciples, they've taken away the Lord and we don't know where they have placed him. Uh, so she's flabbergasted that this is not the same person who was there in Matthew's gospel touching uh, uh, Jesus. And uh, so we, we have here um, a, a change in the story, uh, different gospels narrating not only uh, complementary details, uh, I would say, Andrew, but even conflicting and contradictory uh, details. Uh, now, uh, you, Andrew, you say that, well, you know, they must have told uh, the disciples after a while. It's only on the way. But notice that Mark didn't say on the way. Mark just simply says they, they told no one for they were afraid that was the end of the story. And naturally, Christians do not want it to end that way. And that's why people have tapped on uh, false endings to Mark's gospel. And that's why Matthew and Luke have, uh, while, copied, uh, while copying Mark up until this point, have expanded the narrative, each going their separate way. So, so far as they were following Mark, they're running neck and neck, they're together with Mark. One Mark ends, Matthew and Luke go their separate way. The, the stories no longer correspond to each other. Matthew's uh, appearances in Galilee, uh, Luke's appearances in Jerusalem, and Luke says that the disciples are to stay in Jerusalem until Pentecost. So these are two roads that that do not meet. Not uh, only are they they're not complementary at this point; uh, they are uh, conflicting. Uh, now, you say that the Q gospel was not intended to be comprehensive. Uh, well, indeed, we have not found the entire Q gospel. We can only reconstruct it, not me, but great scholars uh, such as John Kloppenborg. And uh, they, they reconstruct uh, the, the gospel as much as they can find evidence of it in Matthew and Luke from the, from the sayings that they have copied. It was not only sayings, but also some narratives. And what is interesting, however, is that even though we have a, 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 an incomplete reconstruction, instruction. As uh, John Kloppenborg points out, one can see that there is a theology behind this uh, gospel, and uh, the theology regarding the death of Jesus is that he dies uh, uh, as uh, the uh, Deuteronomic view of, of history, where the prophets come, they are persecuted. Jesus is one of the prophets. He gets persecuted as well. And true, uh, Q does not deny the resurrection of Jesus, uh, but uh, Q presents a different way in which Jesus is vindicated. Now, you say that uh, it's the rejectors that will not see Jesus, but notice that the saying continues to say that after a while you will see me, uh, and the rejectors have never seen Jesus since the time they saw him uh, on the cross. Uh, so uh, this uh, obviously is meant uh, to... Uh, uh, as an address to the disciples as well, that the disciples will eventually uh, see him. And this language of you will not see me and you will see me, this is uh, uh, a combination of assumption into heaven and a future eschatological function, as Daniel Smith uh, points it. So it's a different view in Q's gospel. It's not the view that Jesus came out of the tomb, met with his disciples, and then as, uh, ascended into heaven, as described in Luke's gospel. But uh, this is a view that God took him up into heaven. And uh, Dieter Zeller, the German scholar, uh, is quoted in Daniel Smith uh, as saying that the sign of Jonah in the Q gospel in, the, in, in Q11 uh, it would indicate that Jesus did not die. Uh, they, this is how he interprets the sign of uh, Jonah. As for Pilate uh, uh, being not willing to crucify Jesus, uh, you, you say, Andrew, that it's plausible 
that he was not willing to crucify uh, Jesus uh, and his arm was being twisted. Well, then, if you say that, well, then uh, you're open to the possibility, I think, or should be open to the possibility that Pilate could look the other way while Jesus is being taken down from the cross alive. Notice that in Mark's gospel, Pilate was amazed that Jesus could have died so soon. But Matthew and Luke styled it such that that amazement of Pilate is not mentioned. And Father Raymond Brown, in his uh, two-volume book, The Death of the Messiah, uh, says that Matthew and Luke uh, so modified the narratives uh, so as to not let their readers have the same doubt that could arise in the minds of the readers of Mark. Because when they hear that Pilate doubted that Jesus died, uh, they would start thinking, well, wait a minute, maybe he didn't uh, die. So I think altogether, putting all of these points uh, into a complete whole, we see that uh, there is a chance that Jesus was actually uh, assumed from the tomb, as uh, Reginald Fuller pointed out, uh, would have been an early Christian view, given the way uh, Mark's gospel ends. And uh, perhaps he was not even killed, uh, as uh, Dieter Zeller interpreted the sign of Jonah uh, to mean. And the narratives which showed that Jesus came out of his tomb, met with his disciples, and then ascended into heaven, these are late narratives probably influenced by Paul's declaration, though nobody could uh, support his declaration that Jesus appeared to 500 people all at once. So I'd be interested to hear more of what Andrew has to say. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Cameron. Shabir, so I have a question. Uh, my alarm's about to go off, by the way. In in last time, hold on, hold on. I I, I, I repeat that for me, Cameron. Sorry, I couldn't hear you for a moment there. Oh no worries. Uh, I was I was just saying that uh, my alarm went off last time, and some people in the live chat were thinking that it was my phone. Someone was calling me. There it is. It's, I don't know why it took so long for it to come up. Uh, anyway, so that was well, you know why I couldn't time. hear you for a moment there because I set my timer and my timer gives an alarm at the end and when it does that, I, I couldn't hear any uh, anything else. So ah, okay, I have to turn that off my sense. timer. That's yeah. I was about to ask you how did you time it so good because it was right when you start, right when you ended. My ten minutes were up as well. I was like, he, oh, there's yeah. no way. To, he, <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was perfect. Okay, all right. Well, let's move on to uh, to Andrew. So. Uh, another 10 minutes for Andrew, and then we'll continue the back and forth. Really enjoying this. Okay, uh, so let me quickly respond to the points that Shabir raised. Uh, let me finish with my response to the first part that uh, his statement that he made. Now, um, so Shabir claims that the resurrection could be a, a spiritual resurrection, citing Raymond Brown. But actually, um, another study by, the, uh, by uh, James Ware you know, stated that you know, the, the word used the word Igaro in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4, you know, refers to the dead corpse you know, returning to life again, right? So it's not a spiritual resurrection. It is uh, clearly a, a, a bodily resurrection. And the uh, disciples would have to have an uh, experience of a bodily resurrection rather than just some kind of you know, spiritual experience that which will need to, um, in order to, that they can come to the right spread agreement that what they saw was uh, a, a real uh, body, right? Rather than just some kind of spiritual thing. Now, um, and then Shabir mentioned that uh, the disciples' uh, willingness to die, you know, this is something inside their mind, we cannot verify, but actually we can um, know uh, what uh, a person uh, is thinking by you know, looking at their behavior, especially if it's consistent right, over a period of time. So the disciples were preaching this you know, for a number of uh, years, and uh, at, at least right, when, when Paul was uh, mentioning uh, 
to the Corinthians. And so the disciples would have consistently preached that. And even though some of their members have been persecuted and died, but they still continue to persist in preaching this. So this shows their willingness right, to sacrifice uh, for their faith. Um, they continued preaching this even though they saw Jesus himself crucified and even though they saw some of their members uh, killed. Now, um, the Gospels are not, and then Shabir claimed that the Gospels are not independent. Now, it is precisely because of the apparent contradictions that we see that Shabir pointed out that scholars have come to the conclusion, right, that uh, these are independent sources. Because if it's not independent, then it's very unlikely that you know, they would actually uh, write something that you know, uh, appear to contradict each other, right? I mean, so, so this apparent contradiction shows that you know, these are actually uh, independent sources. And, um, and then Shabir uh, states that, uh, you know, in Mark, um, it was uh, in Galilee, Jesus appeared, and in Luke, it was uh, in Jerusalem. But then, uh, if we, um, but actually, this can be um, harmonized, right, if we think about it deeper, because, uh, you know, um, it could be that when Jesus and the angels uh, told the woman to go to tell the disciples, uh, the, the, the disciples may not have gone immediately, and you know, they, because they were uh, unbelieved, uh, you know, so it requires Jesus to appear to them in Jerusalem, right? Because this refused, this disciples, these disciples could have initially refused to go to Galilee, and that's what that's why uh, you know, Jesus appeared uh, in Jerusalem uh, to them first, and, and then later they go to Galilee, and then Jesus appeared to them there as well. Now, um, and then Shabir goes on to talk about First Corinthians fifteen. He, he says that uh, there were people who did not um, believe. Uh, no, sorry, what did he say? Uh, Okay, yeah, so um, Shabir says that 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 12, how come there were some people who don't believe in um, the resurrection? Well, it could be that you know, this could be uh, some newcomers uh, into the church that comes later on, and or it could be due to some false teachers entering the church, and that's why you know, there's, there's some people uh, who didn't believe, and that's why Jesus, and that's why Paul needs to once again remind them of the evidence for Jesus' resurrection by mentioning these eyewitnesses. Now, Paul does not need to go into the details because these details will have been already known, right, to the Corinthians. As uh, Dale Ellison, a well-known scholar, uh, writes, right, um, he says that what Paul is only giving a summary in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, right, and so, um, and, and you know, nobody would have um, expected that, you know, this, uh, that uh, people were, had just believed based on this summary alone, right? People, because people of their natural curiosity, they would want to find out more about the details, and therefore is, and then therefore the reason why Paul did not mention the details is precisely because he knew that these details were already in circulation, right? And and that's why he doesn't need to mention them, right? Uh, we need to note that the the letters in the New Testament they are not intended to be a complete record of everything, right? So they, they are. Uh, very often, it's just a summary, uh, and then Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a creed, right? It's a summary. It's just like, you know, when we read the Nicene Creed, right? It doesn't include a lot of details. Uh, it just mentioned that, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, he, he was the son of God, etc. Right? But it will be silly, right, to think that, oh, just because you know, some details are not mentioned in the Nicene Creed, uh, therefore, the, the Christians don't believe or don't, are not aware of those details, right? And it will be silly to, to think of it that way. We need to understand that the creed is meant to be a summary. Of information that is already known elsewhere. Now, and then um, uh, Shabir goes on to say that once you multiply those ifs, right, uh, the probability gets uh, lower and lower. But that, that is a wrong way of calculation because my argument is not based on one probability multiplying by another probability. It's actually based on exclusion, right? So it's an argument from exclusion. So all the so these are all the alternatives, and they must all add up to one. 
And given that each of the alternative is also ridiculous, right? Um, even if we give a very generous uh, probability of say 0 0.1, they will all add up only to you know, uh, 0 0.6. And so if you minus that off, those off, we have a 99.4% of probability of resurrection. And I think that is uh, high enough, right? To, uh, that uh, uh, any reasonable person uh, ought to believe in that. And then Shabir goes on to talk, and uh, then he goes on uh, in his second rebuttal, he goes on to respond to some of my points. He says that the evolution theory of, of the gospel is accepted by many scholars. However, there are also other scholars who uh, disagree with that. And so, um, and they, I already mentioned the reasons why it's not a good theory. And so, and, and then Shabir um, goes on to say that uh, no narrative in Paul, but already explained uh, by saying that you no know, Paul is referring to knowledge that would have been known elsewhere. As James Dunn, Dale Edison, and many other scholars have pointed out, right, that there, there must have been other traditions which were circulating around. And N.T. Wright uh, notes that you know, these traditions, once told, uh, is very hard to change because these are the foundational stories of the early Christians. And therefore, th there's good reason to believe that you know, these stories, which were told uh, at the very beginning, were, eventually, were written down later uh, in, in, in the Gospels. And, and so uh, the stories that we find in the Gospels um, have historical uh, credibility. Now, um, uh, stories such as Jesus eating you know, with the disciples, etc., you know, those, um, you know, those uh, are very likely you know, the, the stories that were told at the beginning but written down in the Gospels later. Okay, so uh, now what, what about the 500, right? There, there is uh, no uh, story of this uh, in, um, I mean, no, no clear mention of this in, in the Gospels, but then again, as I said, right, the, none of the New Testament writing is intended to be a complete record of everything. And very, we need to understand that the, all these traditions were circulated orally, and so this could be uh, very well be you know, our tradition that was well known. And in fact, Paul encouraged them to uh, you know, check out. Paul says most of these people were still alive. And it is very unlikely that Paul was mistaken about this because Paul had already been inside the Christian circles for many years before he wrote this. And therefore, and, and moreover, these, these eyewitnesses, right, they will have been well known right, to the communities. And Paul was well connected with all these communities. So Paul would have uh, easily known that what he said was true. And it is unlikely that you know he would quote something that um uh, you know he 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 didn't he's not sure that it was true right because we need to understand that Paul was under a very precarious position in the early church because there were other people including some Christian uh, some Christians in Corinth who were his enemies right they were they were trying to put him down by saying that you know Paul was not initially one of the twelve you no know, he's a latecomer and so his apostolic credentials was under challenge. And so given uh, that this is the case, and Paul knew that you know, his, his credentials were under scrutiny, he would have presented you know, things that uh, he, he, he was sure about, especially on such a fundamental uh, issue as the resurrection. Now, um, and, and he, as I said earlier on, right, he's, he's presenting what is public knowledge, you know, things that the Corinthians uh, would have known is true. And therefore, uh, the, the, the credibility of uh, the Pharaoh you know, is, uh, you know, is beyond doubt. Uh, we, know, we know that you know, this is, uh, uh, Paul is referring to a, a common knowledge that is known to his audience. Now, and then uh, Shabir goes on to say that, uh, you know, um, that the, the woman uh, touching Jesus, and we don't know what that, that now again, no, that, that could easily be harmonized, you no, know, because there could be you know, different women. Some women uh, have some experience, other women have other experience, so you know, that there's there's no necessary conflict there. And he, he says, Mark did not say you know, on uh, on the way back, right? But again, you know, this um, neither does Mark denies that you know is on the way. So if you want to claim that there's a contradiction in the Bible, you know, then the burden of proof, right, is on you to exclude the possibilities that I suggest. And uh, Shabir has failed to do that. Now, um, and then uh, Shabir goes on to mention the theology in Q. He says that 
um, you know, after a while, uh, you, you will see me, but again, I already explained that that is perfectly compatible with death and resurrection of Jesus, and then that he, he will come again the second time, and at which, right, after Jesus resurrected, he ascended, and he will come the second time, and, and, and at that point, right, his enemies uh, will, will see him on, on the day of judgment, so it's perfectly compatible with that. And then Shabir goes on to uh, mention about the sign of Jonah. Now, you need to note that signs are not meant to be exact representation uh, of the situation. So, for example, Jonah was punished because he disobeyed God, right? whereas Jesus did not disobey God, right? So you cannot draw exact parallel there. The point of the sign is that um, there will be a divine manifestation of, of a manifestation of divine uh, power, right, uh, on the third day. And that is the, the point of the sign that uh, Jesus, um, and that's why Jesus uh, mentioned this as a sign. And um, and fi finally, um, uh, this um, and and by the way, if you want to take exact representation, in fact, it will contradict Shabir's own hypothesis because uh, you know Jonah after he he uh, you know he was rescued, right? He did not actually ascend to heaven, right? He actually go to preach to people on earth, right? So that actually contradicts Shabir's uh, own theory that you no know, Jesus was assumed you no know, straight to heaven from the tomb. Um, now, finally, uh, Shabir mentioned about pilots. Uh, you know, he he, he says. Apologize, that, well, Andrew. He, he, we're, we oh, just ran out of time. Let yeah, let me finish my sentence, please. Okay, okay. so uh, pilot. So, so you no, know, he says that pilot uh, could have chose to spare Jesus. Now, come on, the the crucifixion was uh, a public event, and Jesus' enemies you no know, were there watching it publicly. So, if you no know, pilot wanted to spare Jesus, you no, know, then the the enemies of Jesus watching the crucifixion, they would have known that that is the case. And if, if that is the case, then no, 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 they, they would have known, uh, known that Jesus was, wasn't actually killed. And of course, no, they have protested. And of course, uh, under that circumstances, nobody would actually believe that Jesus resurrected because everybody would know that actually Jesus was spared. So uh, Shabir's hypothesis is implausible. It doesn't explain how did the earliest Christians uh, and how all the other ancient orders came to the widespread agreement that Jesus was indeed killed and that the earliest Christians will come to the widespread agreement that uh, he was killed and then he uh, became alive again later, three days later. Okay, thank you. All right, let's turn it over to Shabir, and Shabir will give you uh, just about a minute longer this next time. And uh, I, it looks like we're not going to be able to get to any Q&A, which is completely fine, but why don't we just continue the back and forth for another few rounds. And then, uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the stream, we're aiming to go about two hours total and th that means we've got about 40 minutes left. And so we'll just uh, get as many of these in as we can. And then we'll uh, we'll move to some closing thoughts uh, here in just, uh, just a, a few different more rounds. So, all right, let's turn it over to Shabir. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and start. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Cameron. And uh, thank you, Andrew, for engaging in these points in such a spirited and uh, friendly manner. Uh, as for Pilate, uh, you know, if Pilate, according to Matthew's gospel, washed his hands in public. That could have been a sign to his underlings that he wants nothing to do with this man and, uh, and, and he should not be harmed. If there is a way that his uh, underlings could let Jesus uh, have less punishment, if they could look the other way, if they didn't have to do, instead of doing everything 100%, if they did things dragging their feet, then it's possible that Jesus could have been taken down uh, alive. For example, when they came to break the legs of the, of the victims, they broke the legs of the other two uh, crucified persons, but they didn't break Jesus's legs, according to John's gospel. This may not be a historical reminiscence, but things like this could add up to allow Jesus to 
uh, come down uh, alive. Now you say the enemies were there on looking and they would not have permitted this. But uh, Luke's gospel says that when the enemies saw the way Jesus died, they went away beating their breasts. And you can see that they are um, uh, remorseful about what they have done. Uh, but the next day, according to Matthew's gospel, they went into Pilate's court saying, seal up the tomb, uh, lest the second deception be greater than, than the first. Now, what did they think was the first deception? Uh, it, it, did they think that perhaps uh, Jesus was taken down alive and now they want to seal up the tomb to make sure that he doesn't get out alive? And you're right, he, he, you know, with all of the beatings and so on that he has gone through, uh, probably, you know, he won't make much of a showing coming out uh, bloody and all. Uh, so maybe it's at this point that God took him up into heaven uh, to heal his wounds. Now, didn't Paul uh, say that uh, Jesus was raised uh, after three days according to the scriptures? Which scripture? Is it Hosea chapter 6, where it says that in two days God will, God will heal me, uh, and then in three days he will uh, uh, bring me back to life? Uh, well, uh, did God, God heal Jesus? Uh, was he wounded and God healed him and took him up into heaven? Did God take him up into heaven to heal him there? Um, so, so these are all possibilities, I think, that need to be uh, examined. Now, as for the sign of Jonah, one possibility seems to be that as Jonah was alive in the belly of the whale, so too was the Son of Man uh, alive in the belly of the earth. And this was Matthew's interpretation in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 40. As for the women touching uh, Jesus, uh, it, you say it's only some women, but uh, Mark, uh, all of the Gospels name Mary Magdalene as one of the women. And uh, in Matthew's Gospel, um, they touch Jesus. In, in, in uh, John's Gospel, uh, Mary says they've taken away the Lord and we don't know where they have uh, put him, uh, which shows that she could not have been one of those who touched uh, Jesus. We have a discrepancy here among the stories. As for Paul uh, saying that, okay, so uh, 500 and this is something that people can check, maybe they did check and that's why people are not believing the story anymore. At least some people have started to doubt the story. You say maybe they are false teachers. You mean people who do not follow uh, what became the Orthodox Christian uh, view. You say maybe they are newcomers. Well, maybe even the newcomers are hearing about this and they're saying, well, who are these 500? We don't know who they are. And Paul coming back now to them a, a second time, five years later uh, with this letter, uh, he, he does not add any more details. It's, it's like as if we're having this discussion and I mention something and, and you question what I mentioned. And then I come back, I just mentioned the same thing all over again without any further elaboration. Why would I not elaborate? If I have more information, I should elaborate and, and give a more convincing presentation. So Paul's uh, initial presentation uh, to the Corinthians apparently is being doubted and he has nothing more to uh, to offer. And that is presuming that what he's saying in his present letter is precisely what he had delivered previously to them. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that he doesn't believe that he's presenting the same thing, but uh, memories like this. Sometimes uh, we thought we said something, but we didn't. We hadn't actually said it exactly in the same way. Now, you say the stories must have been told from the start, and this is why it's puzzling that uh, that Paul does not include the stories. He doesn't say that Peter went to the tomb and checked it and found it to be empty. Uh, though he wants to say that the resurrection body is like this, all he had to say is instead of philosophical, 
philosophizing about it, he could tell us the stories that would uh, tell us that Jesus's body was physical enough to eat uh, dinner and, and, and to be touched. And at the same time, it was spiritual enough uh, to pass through solid walls. But he doesn't say anything like that. He doesn't seem to know the stories. So uh, you say, uh, Andrew, that your argument is not based on the combined uh, probabilities, but actually the, it, it is. When Once you link your argument like this, you know, suppose, uh, you know, it, it, uh, we, we have to start with the idea that Jesus died. Either he died or didn't die. So we have a fork in the road. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's 50% this way, 50% that way, if we give even credence to both possibilities. Then you go to another fork. If he died, then uh, was he given an honorable burial? It's it's, uh, it's a fork in the road again. And with each fork, you go down from 50% to 25% to 12.5% and, and so on. And you have many forks in the road. So you have to be very sure about every juncture. Otherwise, it's a combined uh, uh, probability. Uh, now, uh, you say that uh, Paul uh, does not mention everything, does not mention all of the stories, uh, and that doesn't mean that Christians did not believe it uh, already. But the thing is that the burden is on the person who is claiming that Jesus resurrected from the dead to show that these stories were known. And the fact of the matter now is that the earliest writing we have is that of Paul, where we can't assume that the gospel stories were already known because we do not have a record showing that they were already known. You say, but these are uh, in independent sources, and that is known from the fact that they contradict each other. Well, yes, to a certain extent, there are independent writings, uh, but to a certain extent, they're copying the same thing, but going in their different ways with that. So uh, Luke, uh, it's widely recognized that Luke used uh, Mark as a source, and so too did Matthew. Um, uh, but having uh, seen that, we see that Luke and Matthew are going their separate ways with the initial story. It's not that they don't know the initial story. They're getting the in initial story, not independently. They're copying from their source, but they're going their separate ways with the source information. And that's why they contradict each other and contradict uh, their source as well. So Jerusalem versus Galilee. It's not that the disciples first refused to go. And then later on, John's gospel specifically says in John chapter 21, this is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples, which were the previous two times. They were both in the Jerusalem area. Uh, so it's not possible that uh, you can reconcile all of these together. As Raymond Brown pointed out, the, 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 the reconciliations that he has seen do, do violence to the, to the texts uh, of, of the scriptures. Uh, you say that some of the members were killed and yet the disciples uh, continued to preach. Well, how many members were killed when the disciples were preaching in that uh, in the early decades? Uh, it's only James who was killed and he was probably killed uh, around the year 44, which means that for a whole decade, the disciples were already preaching something. Uh, so what were they preaching at that time? And what was the uh, fear that they would be killed at that time? In fact, for a large uh, portion of what we read, especially in the Acts of the Apostles, we see that the disciples were not in any danger. And uh, sometimes one of them was in danger, for example, Peter, but then he just went off elsewhere. And it's not mentioned where he went off. So wherever he went off, he might have been in safety and the rest were all safe there. On one occasion, it says that Paul was sent off to Tarsus and then peace reigned in the land. So everybody was at peace and everybody was fine. Uh, Christians believe that uh, John's gospel was written by a disciple of Jesus who lived to his ripe old age, uh, probably to his 90s. 
so uh, where was he always risking his life and coming out uh, unscathed for that those many decades? Christians uh, feel that Matthew wrote Matthew's gospel. When was there any of danger to uh, uh, the life of Matthew? So the people who were telling us the stories uh, probably were not in any danger themselves. And uh, if there was some danger, maybe it was off and on, and the disciples knew how to get around and, and save themselves. Now, uh, Andrew, you say that uh, egero means that he was uh, uh, lift, uh, raised up as if somebody is being, well, other scholars explain this, as Thomas Sheehan explains, uh, that this is the same verb to um, uh, mean that somebody is roused up from sleep. Uh, so it uh, that would in, entail a kind of physical body being taken up. Uh, but we're, we're asking about the actual appearances of Jesus to his disciples. The fact that he has been taken up could be that his body was physically taken up and taken into heaven, uh, as uh, we uh, might assert on the assumption uh, hypothesis that Jesus was assumed into heaven. So then we have, we have an assumption, not a resurrection from the dead. Uh, but uh, when we come to the actual uh, meeting of Jesus with his disciples, we see that it's only in John's gospel that it says that the door was bolted. And John says it twice to make sure that we get the point that the door was bolted and Jesus appeared there in the room. Uh, why, why wasn't this mentioned in the previous gospels? We see that this is a later development. So the later we go, uh, the more we see that uh, there is more of an assurance that Jesus died. For example, we have the spear wound in, in John's gospel, which is not mentioned in the other gospels to make sure that we will be convinced that Jesus is dead. The more we see that there are more and more witnesses who are closer to the event. So if you go from Mark to John, we see that there are more people at the crucifixion scene and they are closer to the crucifixion scene. So in John's gospel, you have Jesus's mother at the scene and you have the beloved disciple who, according to some interpreters such as Andrew Lincoln, uh, is uh, a literary device. Uh, we cannot imagine uh, from the other Gospels that there is this beloved disciple. So I think altogether, uh, Andrew, you have a difficult case to defend. All right, let's just move into uh, Andrew's portion here. So another, let's start with uh, 10 minutes. So we let uh, Shabir go for 11 minutes yeah. there. And then we'll, uh, we'll start with 10 minutes with Andrew. And then, yeah, we'll just continue the conversation. So whenever you're ready, Andrew, go ahead. Uh, sorry, don't start first. Uh, now, can you show my slide? Because I want to do a PowerPoint presentation in response to Shabir's point. So because there are, there are still some more slides um, in, in my PowerPoint slides, in my earlier ones. So can you show that? And then when I start the pres presenting the slides, then you start the count, please. <laughs> it, it gives some time for, yeah, for you to pre prepare showing the slide. And I'll go, go later on. Um, later slides, please. Which uh, which slide should I start at here? No. Yeah, go down, go down, go down. Okay. Um, next, next. Okay, next. Okay, yeah, yeah, this one. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah, you can start now. The Okay. So thank you, Shabir, uh, for your... Um, very spirited response. So, um, because the first point, so um, you started by uh, saying that uh, you know Jesus could have survived crucifixion. So let me present on my, my slides um, to to share with the audience, right? So we need to understand what does 
crucifixion means, right? Uh, because th th there isn't much details in the Gospels. And so uh, we can find out what crucifixion means by looking at the circular sources, right? So what does th this term mean? Now, Cicero um, referred to this as the most disgusting penalty. Josephus says this is the most pitiful of deaths, of deaths. So crucifixion is meant to kill, right? It's a death sentence and the Romans make sure the victim died. So regardless of whether the details, uh, so you know, Shabir may, may, may doubt of the, the detail about piercing uh, in, in, in John, whatever. I mean, you, you, you can you know, um, you, you can doubt of this, but you must know what crucifixion means, right? It means that um, whatever, mean, whatever you know, the Romans make sure they die, no matter what means they use, right? They make sure the guy died. This is what it means. And so um, like Kona pointed out that it was usually preceded by torturing the beating um, brutally, and not with whips and with fire in some accounts, and sometimes you know, pull out the eyes and uh, tongue cut off. So crucifixion is not just simply nailing someone on the cross, right? Crucifixion is it means killing somebody, and this and so is uh, you know, is standard practice to um, do additional kind of tortures in addition to just nailing someone on the cross. And I only mentioned the whipping just now, right? Whip until the veins come uh, come out, the whip the bone. Uh, and then there are various methods of ensuring death, right? So breaking of legs is one possible method. Piercing victims on the cross, right? This is recorded uh, in another source. So, so um, no matter what method they use, the bottom line is crucifixion was a death sentence, and the Romans make sure the victim died. Okay, next slide, please. Next slide. And in fact, out of so many people who were crucified in the ancient world, there was only one case of some, someone who is known to have survived, only one person who in antiquity was known to have survived crucifixion. And that was because he was intentionally spared and resuscitated, right? So uh, Josephus reports you know, three of his friends crucified and then he quickly plead with uh, Titus, you know, the Roman commander to order all three to be removed immediately and to have the greatest care taken uh, of them in order that they may recover. And yet even with the best care that the Romans could give, Two of them still died under the fish's hand. Uh, only the third survived. And this is the only case of somebody uh, who is known right, to survive uh, in crucifixion in the ancient world. And therefore, even if Jesus uh, had been removed from his cross prematurely and medically resuscitated, his chance of survival is very, very low. And in addition, no evidence exists that you know, Jesus was removed while alive or that he was provided any medical care whatsoever, much less Rome's best. And um, so, so the point here is that you know, it is a public event. Jesus' enemies were watching. They would have noticed if Jesus was still breathing uh, when he was, and, and whether death was ensured as per normal practice. Okay, next slide, please. So moreover, Jesus' death was multiply attested in ancient Gentile, Jewish, and Christian sources written in the first and second century. So Tacitus mentioned this, Lucian, um, and Josephus, uh, very likely as well. And so, and all four Gospels, and also in other early Christian sources uh, outside the Gospels, and there is no evidence to the contrary. So, uh, and we have very early report as well. Paul mentions Jesus' death by crucifixion in 1 Corinthians, no less than 25 years within uh, you know, uh, Jesus' ministry. So, no, so all the Asian sources agree, right? Uh, that you know, whether it's Gentile, Jewish, Christians, they all agree that you no, know, Jesus died. All right, next. So that there's no um, evidence to the contrary, no sign of any uh, of any disagreement there. And moreover, almost all historical critical scholars, including atheists and agnostics, agree that Jesus' death by crucifixion is one of the surest facts of history and that the denial of this fact in Islamic sources written 600 years later have no historical basis. So, you know, uh, Shabir sometimes you know, quotes scholars to argue against me, but now I want to mention that all scholars are against him right, on this point, that uh, Jesus' death as a consequence of his crucifixion is indeed 
disputable, right? This is, um, and other atheists, uh, skeptics, Judaic scholars have all uh, mentioned that you know, this is something that is historically certain. Next slide, please. Next slide. So given the failure of all the other naturalistic alternatives, right, a miracle is required to explain the original resurrection Christology and Shabir agree with me on this point. Because if you, if you listen uh, to Shabir's uh, presentation just now, you'll notice that you know, the, the, how he explained uh, that Jesus could have appeared well uh, to his disciples, he says that, well, Allah must have saved Jesus, healed Jesus in heaven, and that's why Jesus could appear well and healthy and glorious to his disciples. So what this shows is that in any case, a miracle right, is required to explain um, the origin of Christianity. So there are two miracles here. So there are two miraculous claims here. So either that uh, Jesus rose from the dead, resurrection, or Jesus, or, 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 so either God raised Jesus from the dead or, or God rescued Jesus from death. So, so a miracle is required in any case. And so we have to compare these two uh, hypotheses and see which one is more reasonable. So on the... Uh, now, okay, uh, next, next slide, please. Next slide. Now, first of all, um, there is no good reason to in favor of the miraculous soon hypothesis. Now, Shabir, you know, keep quoting Q and the sign of Jonah, but I already explained, right? The sign of Jonah is not, uh, the science is not meant to be a uh, exact representation. And in fact, if you take it as an exact representation, it actually contradicts Shabir's hypothesis because as I said, you know, Jonah was not said to have ascended into heaven from the fish. Rather, he, you know, uh, instead he went on his mission on earth, right? And so that actually contradicts uh, Shabir's hypothesis if you want to take it as exact representation, as exact representation uh, which we shouldn't. Okay, and next slide, please. Next slide. Um, okay, um, skip this, next. So there's no good uh, reason to favor the obvious uh, hypothesis, whereas there are good historical reasons in favor of the resurrection hypothesis. And first is that there's multiple independent attested early first century sources which indicate that the earliest Christians were in wide agreement that Jesus was dead and that he was seen alive by groups of people. So what needs to be explained is how they come to this widespread agreement, right? And and in Shabir's case, there is no early tradition that says that Jesus was merely rescued. And the Islamic sources are all very late. You know, they were written 600 years later, and there was no, no it's not based on any eyewitness sources. And so uh, you know, it is historically um, uh, unreliable compared to the Christian sources that we have. Uh, next. Next slide. And... Um, Almost all historical critical scholars, including atheists and agnostics, agree that Jesus' death and resurrection was what the earliest Christians believe. Okay, next next slide, please. Next slide. And uh, Richard Bauckham pointed out that Paul did not have sufficient power to invent Christianity. You know, this is a, a myth that many you know, Muslims think, right? They think that, well, Paul is the one who invented all this, but actually Paul did not have sufficient power to invent this Christianity, this belief, because there was already a large Christian community in Rome long before Paul visited capital. Christianity must have soon spread from e to Egypt and Mesopotamia, development which Paul had no involvement. The center from which early Christian movements developed and spread through the ancient world was not Paul, but the Jerusalem church led initially by the 12 apostles and subsequently by James, the brother of Jesus. What was common to the whole Christian movement derived from Jerusalem, not from Paul. And Paul himself merely you know, passed on the central message he preached from the uh, Jerusalem apostles who preached this at the very beginning. Next slide, please. So, um, yeah, now considering this point, Igero, right? So just now, Shabir claims that, well, maybe this Igero is uh, referring to assumption to heaven. Now, but he, he neglects the context because the context refers you know, to Paul saying that Jesus died and then Igero. 
So as James Webb pointed out, the word Igero, when used with reference to the physically dead, always referred to the revivification of the corpse. It doesn't refer to uh, immediate assumption to heaven. Uh, next slide, please. Next slide. So we have good historical uh, reasons in favor of the resurrection, right? Uh, because solid evidence, such as disciples eating and drinking with Jesus together, no, this would have been required. No, even if the Gospels doesn't mention this, we can infer that such experiences would have been required in order to that you know, necessary to originate the widespread agreement among them that resurrected corpse was what they witnessed rather than just a spirit. And so uh, Shapiro's hypothesis lacks the explanatory power to, to explain how did the earliest Christians come to this widespread agreement that Jesus was bodily resurrected rather than merely uh, ascended to heaven, right? rather than merely healed um, by Allah. Next slide, please. Next slide. And so um, we not only have good historical reasons to prefer the resurrection hypothesis over Shabir's hypothesis, we also have good theological reasons in favor of the resurrection. Because remember, we are now comparing two miraculous hypotheses, right? So we have to, since both are supposed to be miracles, we have to you know, take into account theological considerations. Now, um, the first is that the fact that on the resurrection side, the fact that the earliest followers of Jesus were in widespread agreement that Jesus resurrected is consistent with God's plan to reveal himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's consistent with God's plan to reveal. So the resurrection hypothesis is consistent, whereas Shabir's hypothesis is inconsistent. Why? Because uh, it implies that by raising Jesus straight to heaven from the tomb, Allah himself was to be blamed for causing the followers of Jesus to believe that Jesus resurrected and resulting in millions embracing Christianity and rejecting Islam and causing his prophet uh, Jesus to be the most spectacular prophetic failure ever. All his followers misunderstood him on this most important point of doctrine. And after causing this misunderstanding, Allah allowed it to go unchecked for, and only revealed the truth 600 years later. Now, I find this very hard to believe. Okay. Uh, next slide. We just hit the uh, the 10-minute mark, by the way. Okay, I'll, I'll stop here. I'll, I'll present my last slide next, next time. Thank you. Okay, all right. Uh, let's move on to... Let me go ahead and just... I'll, I'll just pull it up, Shabir. So whenever... Whenever you're ready, you can go ahead and, and begin. Shabir. Oh, oh, you're ready for me? Yes. Okay, I, I thought Andrew wanted to present one last point. I'll, I'll present my last slide in the next, next round. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, good. So... Um, uh, thank you, Andrew. And uh, this is so interesting. And uh, um, you know, we're we're um, friends. And and I want that at the end of this, we should remain friends. I want Christians and Muslims yeah. coming out of this to have a better understanding of each other. And and that starts with you and and me. And uh, not only understanding, but appreciation and love uh, for each other. So as for theological you know considerations, S sorry about that, Shabir. We we might I, actually. I'm looking at the time now, and ten minutes for you is going to wind us at nine forty nine fifty five my time. And so what mm -hmm. I'm thinking is that this might need to be the last response that we get from Shabir, and then we can move into some closing statements. And if we want to stay within the two hour, you know, time frame, then we're going to have to do closing statements around two or three minutes each. We'll see what we can do. But I'm thinking this might need to be our last like formal exchange or back and forth, and then we can just move into closings. How does that sound? Sure, fine with me. And then maybe we can do a part two. How about that, Andrew? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Sure. Yeah. So I, I yeah. Won't well, Andrew had suggested and... another topic regarding the Trinity or something like this. So I'm open to any to any of this. Excellent. All right. Well, let's do one more response from Shabir, and then we'll move to some closing statements. So uh, sorry about cutting you off there. I just wanted to, I, I just noticed the time and thought that it was important that we sort this out before you begin. All right, okay, go ahead. Sure. How much time do I have? Uh, 10 minutes. 
Okay. Um, so, um, uh, Andrew, as for theological considerations, I'm glad you brought this up, actually, because I didn't want to um, unnecessarily introduce the theology into this, because, as you know, uh, Muslims have a great difficulty understanding the Christian theology regarding the cross, because from a Muslim point of view, it seems odd that God would plan the crucifixion of his son and, and then use that as a way of appeasing his own wrath in order to forgive people. From a Muslim point of view, God wants to forgive people. He just forgives them, and uh, it doesn't cost God anything. And, and Muslims describe God as uh, ghafur, as rahim, as uh, forgiving and merciful, and he loves to forgive. So he will forgive if we are sincere in our repentance, and sometimes he just forgives us a bonus out of his own good will. Now, as for the idea that, uh, you know, if, if God uh, raised Jesus um, uh, up into heaven uh, without having him uh, die and, and reappearing to his disciples alive, uh, this does not contradict anything in Muslim uh, theology. In fact, uh, it would show that God uh, is merciful towards his, uh, his servant, and he comes in to rescue the servant after the servant has uh, borne as much as that servant can bear. And Jesus, as a prophet of God, was willing to uh, face his enemies and face persecution. He becomes actually a model for us to face persecution and uh, to be willing to um, uh, speak the truth uh, despite what the consequences uh, will be. As for the explanatory power, of the hypothesis that I've advanced, well, it, it explains a lot. It explains how Christians could have come to think that Jesus is, uh, has resurrected from the dead. It uh, explains how the various uh, resurrection stories emerged in the various Gospels and why they contradict each other, because there was a core. The core was that God raised Jesus into heaven. This explains a lot of the uh, early uh, proclamations that are found in First Thessalonians and elsewhere, where just the exaltation of Jesus is spoken about. So Jesus was exalted, which could mean that he was taken up into heaven. And uh, it, it, there is a narrative in one of the Muslim classical commentaries uh, on the Quran, Tafsir Jalalain, that says that uh, Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, was distraught uh, at the absence of Jesus, and God uh, caused her to see a vision of Jesus to give her satisfaction. Uh, as a Muslim, I'm open to the possibility that, as Raymond Brown said, uh, the disciples saw a vision of Jesus. But of course, uh, that does not mean that the disciples would be right in concluding uh, that Jesus uh, resurrected from the dead in the way in which uh, the Gospels narrate. And I'm not saying that the disciples uh, reached that conclusion. We actually do not have the writings of the original disciples of Jesus, and even their preaching in the Acts of the Apostles uh, it, it is really given in the words of the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, not the original preachings of the of the disciples. And yet it is interesting that in those preachings we find uh, indication that Jesus did not die. For example, Peter quoting Psalm 16, saying that Jesus' body did not decompose. Well, if his body did not decompose, that means that he did not die. It's not that he died, he suffered decomposition and then a reversal by the resurrection. It's just that he did not decompose to... Uh, uh, begin with. They quote also Psalm uh, 118, referring to Jesus as uh, the uh, cornerstone which uh, the builders had rejected. Well, if you go to Psalm 118, we see that this is about a person uh, who clearly says, I did not die. And uh, so, so that's, this um, explains actually a, a lot. And um, 
as for a gero indicating a revivification of uh, a corpse, well, yes, that's the uh, term that later on comes to be used, but we don't know what was the original term uh, that was used. But even this term could mean that Jesus was asleep, and Thomas Sheehan, uh, in the, his articles in the Resurrection Source Book, uh, pointed out that uh, in the Gospels themselves, egero is used to indicate rousing a person from sleep, such as when, for example, Jesus was asleep uh, in, in the boat and his disciples came to rouse him. That's the same verb used. He wasn't resurrected from the dead. He was just awakened from sleep. So it could be that Jesus was asleep. Uh, and then from his sleep in the tomb, God took, uh, aroused him up and took him into, into heaven. Um, now, as for Paul and his uh, credibility on this, well, Paul is uh, one uh, representing one stream of, uh, of thought here, and he's preaching what he preached. We, we cannot extrapolate from that and say that everybody else was preaching the same thing, because now we know from the Q gospel uh, that some people had a different idea of how Jesus was vindicated. He was vindicated by assumption into heaven and uh, not by resurrection and then ascension. As for the sign of Jonah, uh, this could have many different interpretations, but Dieter Zeller's interpretation is that it means that uh, as Jonah was alive, uh, Jesus was also alive. And this is Matthew's interpretation, it would seem, because he says as Jonah was uh, three days and three nights in the belly of the uh, whale, uh, so too will be the son of man. Well, it wasn't a time factor, as has been pointed out by some others, um, especially Sheikh Ahmed Didat, uh, but uh, it may have been that uh, as Jonah was alive, so too was Jesus alive, and then obviously in the end God took him up. Uh, as for the Sun hypothesis, this fell into disfavor because it could not uh, explain uh, what happened to the body of Jesus afterwards, but on the Islamic view that God raised Jesus into heaven, now that part is explained, and the Sun hypothesis therefore remains a viable hypothesis. You say, well, nobody accepts this, not even the atheist scholars. Well, that's because the atheist scholars do not accept the narratives which are given in the New Testament to show that Jesus appeared to his disciples alive again. But once we come to accept those uh, narratives, uh, at least in some rudimentary way, to say that Jesus is still alive in heaven, well, then the swoon hypothesis uh, comes back to the fore. Because uh, if you know that Jesus was alive after the crucifixion event, that would mean that he didn't die at the crucifixion event. He must have died sometime after the last time he was seen alive. So you're right, uh, Andrew, that we both have uh, a miracle in the end, but which uh, miracle is easier uh, to believe? To say that somebody uh, came back from the dead, that requires a greater um, uh, bit of evidence to prove that. Both Muslims and Christians believe that Jesus was eventually raised up into heaven. So uh, we are even Stephen on that score. And now Christians have one more thing to prove that Jesus actually came back to life. So Christians have a greater burden of proof. And to meet that burden of proof with the information that is there in the Gospels is very difficult because as we have seen, the Gospels contradict each other in major ways and uh, the information in them do not prove to be uh, reliable. Uh, as for his death being multiply attested, uh, you know, by, you know, Josephus and Cicero and all of those are, well, not Cicero, but Suetonius and, and Tacitus. Well, they're just talking after the fact about a widespread story. They're just reporting what everybody seems to know. And that assumes that Jesus did not come back and meet with his disciples and have dinner with them. Because the moment you tell somebody that Jesus was there having dinner on a certain date, everybody knows he must have died sometime after that date. 
unless you can prove absolutely that he died before that and that he resurrected uh, again from, from the dead. But uh, that proof is not uh, available because, as Thomas Sheehan pointed out, there was no coroner on the scene. And uh, we, we see that the efforts of the later Gospels are, are such to try to convince us that Jesus died by introducing unhistorical uh, uh, bits of data, like, for example, the spear thrust in Jesus's side recorded only in John's Gospel. When we see that the Gospels are going out of their way to uh, try to convince us of the death of Jesus, that increases our suspicion uh, that perhaps Jesus did not actually uh, die. And, and that lends credence to the idea that Jesus was taken up alive into heaven by God. You say there's only one case of a person surviving death on uh, surviving the cross, but that's the only case that we know of. And probably these persons were hanging there for uh, for days. We don't know how long, uh, perhaps two days. Uh, but uh, in Jesus's case, he was hanging on the cross only for a few hours. And that's why Pilate marveled that Jesus could have died so soon. And uh, it would seem that the Gospels of Matthew and Luke uh, eliminated that mention of Pilate's amazement, lest their readers should also start wondering uh, how uh, Jesus uh, could have died so soon. And uh, you mentioned Cicero in, in the context of saying that crucifixion was brutal. Yes, generally it was. But in this particular case, look at the centurion, who was by definition the head of a hundred soldiers, and he was obviously in charge of the event. And he, by this time, became a Christian because he said, truly, this man is the son of God. Or in another gospel, truly, this man was innocent. So neither the centurion, nor Pilate, nor the enemies of Jesus by this time were interested in killing Jesus. So Jesus could very well have survived and taken up into heaven from where he appeared gloriously uh, to his disciples. Thank you. All right, as I mentioned, let's move into some closing statements. So Andrew, how would you like to do this? I, I would like to keep it as short as we can, just because I know that we're about to hit the, the two hour mark. So uh, would you yeah. like to finish the last slide that you that we had, or would you like to just uh, move into your closing? Okay, so, so you give me three minutes, is it? How much time do you have, only three minutes? Yeah, I, I'd say about three minutes. All right, okay, so, so let me show the last slide and then I will close, yeah. I'll give you two minutes, thanks. Well, since I only have three minutes, uh, I cannot, uh, I have no time to respond to all the points that Xavier raised, um, and it's, it's a shame. Uh, but actually all his points, uh, I address them, right, in my book. So I'll encourage the reader to check out my book, Investigating the Resident of Jesus Christ, where you will find responses to the other points that Xavier raised, which I have no time to respond. So please check out my book. So because I have so limited time, only three minutes, I have to focus on the most important point in this closing statement. And so let me finish with my slide, uh, because this slide is actually re 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 related to the, the question that Shabir asked, right, about the theology of the cross. Why can't God just forgive uh, someone without killing? Well, the reason is because God is a God of justice. And because he is a God of justice, he must punish sin, right? And, but because he's a God of love, he's not willing that we should be punished. And that's why he sent his son, and his son willingly come into the world, right, to die for us. And you know, he, he loves us and suffered for us, and that's how our sins can be forgive, freely forgiven. And this was taught by Jesus himself, according to the historical evidence, because the earliest Christians were evidently concerned about passing on Jesus' teaching and reinforced them in the earliest churches. And one of these early traditions uh, state that this is my body, that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as you know, the, the Last Supper. It's a tradition found in Paul's letter. And this Paul was passing on the tradition that originated even earlier on, as all, almost all historians recognize. And so this 
uh, was actually came from Jesus himself. And so this uh, the, the historical evidence indicate that Jesus himself taught his sacrificial death for the sin of humankind. And the Passover lamb was killed. He was not rescued. Right? The earliest Christians proclaimed the death of the Lord. And this came from Jesus himself. And therefore, since Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, and since Jesus taught his sacrificial death, as shown by the historical evidence, the early traditions, um, Muslims should believe that Jesus died for their sins and our sins, and that is a good news, right? Because uh, you know it shows that we can be forgiven and we can be with uh, safe and be with God forever. So, in in conclusion, now I have said at the beginning that despite disagreements about various aspects of the New Testament, right? So, you know, scholars have different disagreements about New Testament. Um, you know, uh, so Shabir mentioned apparent contradictions here, but others responded by showing that they are not actually contradictions. So, they are, so despite all these uh, the disagreements about various details of the, New Testament, of the New Testament, there is actually widespread agreement among historians that firstly, Jesus died on the cross. Right, and I already mentioned that there's good historical evidence to show that this is true because that's what crucifixion means. And his enemies uh, was on the spot, right, to make sure that the usual practice were done. And and so um, this is the first point. And very soon afterwards, you know, there were the earliest Christians came to the widespread agreement that Jesus uh, resurrected, and you know, uh, because groups of people actually saw him alive, and the body of Jesus was missing. And so these three facts requires a miraculous explanation to explain them. And in, in fact, we see that Shabir himself resorted to a miraculous explanation by saying that, you know, uh, Allah uh, actually uh, uh, healed Jesus and raised him straight from the tomb. And that's why the, the body was missing. And so, um, however, when we, when we compare these two miraculous explanations, I already explained that uh, the traditional resurrection uh, explanation has better historical evidence to support. And in fact, um, you know, all the ancient sources agree, all the um, uh, modern uh, scholars, almost all the modern scholars agree as well. And and so now Shabir says that, um, you, you know, uh, and, and, and so Shabir says that, well, there's no theological problem uh, because uh, uh, God saved his servant. You no, know, this is something there's no theological problem. But the problem is that on his hypothesis, Allah was the one who caused all the ancient scholars and all the modern scholars right, to uh, disagree with Islam, right? By agreeing that Jesus actually died and he rose again. And the word Igaro, when used with reference to the dead, it means a dead corpse coming alive. I mean, it can, when referring to the people who are sleeping, it can, mean, it can refer to waking up from the sleep. But when referring to the, those who are dead, and all the early Christians also agree that he was dead, right? He refers to a body, uh, Jesus become body alive again. And so, uh, on the basis of this understanding and all the, all the historical evidence we have, we can conclude that Jesus was dead and he was resurrected. And so uh, this is the, the good news, right? And so um, with that, uh, I close my, um, my statement. All right, and we'll turn it over to Shabir. So you've got uh, around three minutes. So if you go a little bit long, no worries. And uh, <laughs> yes, just uh, share your, your closing thoughts with us. Okay, sure. Uh, so as for the waking from sleep, uh, Andrew, I'm glad you've agreed that uh, the, in the context, the verb can mean waking from sleep, egero. Um, and you say, but, you know, the context is that everybody's saying that he died. But the problem is that they're only assuming that he died. For example, when in the Gospels, it says uh, in the Gospel of John, they came to uh, break his legs. But when they saw that he was already dead, how, what do you mean they saw he was already dead? The writer means that uh, the onlookers 
um, thought that that Jesus died from the way he he appeared, and so they didn't break his legs. But nobody verified, as far as we can tell, as Thomas Sheehan points out, there was no coroner on the scene. As for historical uh, support, you are assuming uh, that uh, this, uh, you know, the gospel narratives are are correct. Uh, but when when we discount the appearances of Jesus as uh, narrated in the gospels then we are left with uh, a puzzle as to what really happened with Jesus. Historians, secular historians will assume that he died because either he died sometime on the cross or maybe when he was put in the tomb, maybe he expired there. Uh, Jesus uh, now will be presumed to be dead even if his body is missing. That's history. But if we go back to the scene and we ask, how do we know when exactly he died? One gospel says that he died before the curtain of the tomb was, uh, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The other says that he died after the curtain was torn in two. So nobody knows exactly when he died. There's only a presumption that he died. For us, for this uh, widespread agreement, that is only because people are discounting uh, the resurrection uh, narratives and uh, they're, they're saying, well, he must have uh, died. You say that uh, this idea came from Jesus that he will die on the cross. Well, that's assuming the truth of the gospel narratives. But uh, when we go back, we can see, for example, there is a book on the evolution of the Lord's Supper. And uh, it's possible that Jesus just simply had a simple Jewish meal with his disciples. And that came later on to be interpreted along Christian lines as Jesus dying uh, for the sins uh, of the world. Uh, Luke does not seem to have that uh, theology. And uh, to the idea that God must punish sin to the extent of punishing his son, uh, this to Muslims seems uh, rather strange. And you say that the son was willing. Well, uh, the fourth gospel shows that he was more willing than ever because in the first three gospels, he prays to be saved from the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the fourth gospel, the gospel according to John says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it is for this reason that I came to this hour. So the fourth gospel shows him to be quite resolute, whereas the earlier gospels uh, show him to be wavering uh, on that plan. And why would God want to strengthen him to make sure that he goes ahead with it? Why doesn't God just simply forgive people? You say because God is just, but God is also merciful and his uh, justice can be tempered with mercy. So thank you all. I'm so glad that we're doing this. Let's remain friends. Let's discuss more. All right. Thank you guys so much for uh, for joining me today. And uh, thank you for watching. It's been, uh, you know, this is a two hour discussion. So if you've made it all the way to the end, you're awesome. You should consider subscribing, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this stream. But again, thank you so much, Shabir Ali and uh, Andrew Loke for coming on. There's a, a you know, a, a million other things that we could discuss uh, even in this topic alone. So uh, I, I realized that we've got to at some point, we've got to end. We've got to stop talking, <laughs> and everybody's got to go to sleep. Um, but thank you, yeah, thank you guys so much for for joining me. It's been awesome. And thank you, Cameron. Thank you so it's been delightful to be with you. And yeah, thank you, Andrew, as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Cameron. Thank you, Shabir. It's great to discuss with you. Let's keep in touch, and hopefully, we'll discuss. Uh, have time to discuss next time. Um, yeah, sure. yeah, we can uh, let, let's the, let's talk an email. Figure out if we if we want to do a different topic or if we want to do sort of a, a round two, maybe continue the conversation. We'll uh, we can talk all all about that in uh, in email after the conversation. But uh, again, thank you guys so much for coming on, and we will see you guys in the next capturing Christianity uh, video. So see you later. Mm -hmm.